5: Facing my books. Your grandmother.
6: All, um, of your, all of your grandmothers.
5: Wow, Garrison, my grandmother's dead. So Well, was... they're
6: there's still Facebooking in the grave.
5: I mean, thank God, no. Uh, I think my grandparents <laughs> briefly got introduced to MySpace before okay. being too sick to use the internet anymore. They were on AOL for a while, though.
6: Oh, that's that's quaint.
5: Yeah, they were on AOL for a while. Um, you know, it's uh it's I don't often say thank goodness for Louis body dementia, but at least it stopped them from from knowing the the horrors that were to come in the digital age. They they got they got right off the bus before things got terrible. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, that is So,
5: friends, Romans, countrymen, how do you feel about Meta? which is totally what we're all going to be calling Facebook for now on, for forever.
6: The, my main thought, honestly, is that like the word meta, the past like two years, the word meta has been ruined by yes. both like pop culture thinking it's smart and then shit like this. Now that a, a once useful concept has now been obliterated and we yeah. can't use it for anything anymore. You,
5: you can't be meta. And, and the fact that Facebook is attempting to use this as the name of their company shows that Mark Zuckerberg hasn't had a conversation on an even footing in his entire adult life. Like, everyone is trying to get someone out of him every time he talks to anybody. So nobody would say, like, you know, Mark, Meta's a terrible name for a company. But anyway, they did that. And they had a big event about two weeks ago where they got up and talked for an hour and 20 minutes about the future of the Internet and what Facebook's vision of the metaverse was going to be. All All this very fun stuff. Okay, so here's the thing. It's a bad idea. And normally, like, bad tech ideas are a dime a dozen, and we don't cover them on our show because this is a show, it could happen here, about collapse, things falling apart, and the future, and what's going to come next. But in this case, talking about meta is actually really worthwhile because meta is one example of how the people who are kind of in control, or at least in control of a significant amount of the world that we live in, particularly the digital spaces that we've all agreed to be locked into, see the future. I think the thing that, like, makes it clear why this is in our wheelhouse is an article from uh, Wired by Matthew Galt, um, who's a buddy of mine. He's a great journalist, um, and it's titled, Billionaires See VR as a Way to Avoid Radical Social Change. Um, and that title does kind of get to the uh, get to the the nut of it, but the quotes in this thing are fucking wild. So before we get into Mark Zuckerberg and his vision of the future of the Internet and of humanity, um, I want to read some quotes from John Carmack, who, um, so John Carmack is the guy – he made Doom, right? Like you can't overstate the, Im, the impact John Carmack had on gaming. Like he invented the first – like first, effectively the first popular first-person shooter. He was the CTO of Oculus for a while. Um, and yeah, he's, he's
6: very familiar with like 3D digital spaces.
5: Yes, and he's, he's very bullish on VR. Um, and he gave a quote – well, not gave a quote. He talked to Joe Rogan during an interview in 2020, and he said this. Some people read this the wrong way and react incorrectly to it. The promise of VR is to make the world you want it. It is not possible on Earth to give everyone all that they would want. Not everyone can have Richard Branson's private island. People react negatively to any talk of economics, but it is resource allocation. You have to make decisions about where things go. Economically, you can deliver a lot more value to a lot of people in the digital, or in the virtual sense. Um, And that's one of those things that... You can see how a guy like John Carmack, who is, again, a smart guy who's been ahead of the curve on a number of important things, could could convince himself this is true. This is absurd. And I think lo- what we see in Facebook's uh, video is going to make clear that it's absurd. One of the reasons that it's absurd is that, um, like everything else, the people who are building the metaverse have done, like what they've done to the internet. The internet before Facebook and, and, and Twitter and these, like, these behemoths um, used to be weird and decentralized and primarily not for profit. Um yeah. there was there was a period of time in which like the idea that you would actually make money off the internet like really out of like content or whatever was just silly because it was this it was impossible to monetize. It was this weird wild like creative nonsense pile. Um and you could only kind of make money around the edges of it, but the core of it was just just far too strange and and uncontrollable. Um, Too wild and free. Um, And that's not the internet anymore because of the people – because in large part of the people who are trying to build these metaverses. And the idea that they would allow poor people to have the same kind of resources as rich people in the metaverse – uh, they they're, they can't let that happen. They're not the kind of people who would let that happen. They're going to monetize every aspect of this thing. If it becomes real, if we ever have like an all-encompassing metaverse, every, every moment of it and everything you do in it, everything you have in it is going to cost you money.
6: Probably um, with some kind of bullshit subscription yeah. plus adding on, you know, like randomized caches – and other, like, you know, loot box-type mechanics. Yeah. Ga- selling gambling to
7: children is the business yeah. model of the future. Yeah. By I, by the future, I mean, it's been happening it, now. for, like, 10 years. Yeah. yeah,
5: it's the business model they want for it. Now, I, I will state, I think some sort of persistent virtual reality thing will probably happen in some way someday. I don't think any of these people, part of why my thesis of this is none of these people are capable of making it. It's because they they look at this the same way, like, shitty app developer shitty like game developers for facebook look at gaming where it's like everything should cost money you should be able to pay to win and it's like well nobody likes that like nobody nobody likes those games those are not the things that are successful like and and it is one of the games that comes up a lot when people talk about the metaverse is minecraft and what made minecraft hugely successful and why you can kind of plausibly see like oh this has elements of a metaverse where you're Everybody's building these gigantic, persistent things that you can interact with, and that you can make these incredible and people. would like works of art in Minecraft. They did it for free, and they did it because like nothing costs money, really, in Minecraft. If I'm not mistaken, like you can no, make no. anything just, yeah. with nothing. You like, just
6: buy you, the game, and then you have the game, and you can build whatever you want. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, if like, your you know, like,
5: equity my, is effort, right? Like, yeah. yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. And if like you know, like one of my friends like learned computer science so he could like. Okay, he can create circuits, right? He like he built a like functioning computer yeah. in this yeah. game. Yeah. Just, like, you can you, you yeah, can you build computers you can within, within the games. game Minecraft. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's, it's pretty, like it's pretty it's pretty it's, cool.
5: Yeah. If you're gonna tell me sometime in the future, virtual reality and the internet is going to get like so good and so pervasive that eventually people will bootstrap together some
6: kind of metaverse? Yeah, maybe.
5: Like, that That could happen. Um, if it comes but, from,
6: like, a cyber, like, punk aspect where, like, yeah. emphasis on the punk, then yeah. sure, I can see this being a thing. But the way tech companies are talking about this, this that's not how people use the internet currently. Yes. Specifically, yes. like, the mainstream people. There's no way.
5: Yeah, and there's there's a few more. Like, one of the things that Matt brings up in this article is, like, VR is a way to avoid radical social change. Um, is, uh, like, kind of the... <laughs> one of the reasons why he's... Number one, and I think where we should all be kind of critical about how realistic it is, is is kind of the present state of virtual reality, which is about 1.7% of Steam users have a VR headset. Steam being kind of the largest app to try to monitor, like, how many people are using VR, right? Like, it's kind of your best, yeah, your best it's, bet it's, at it's, figuring it's, out the rough the size biggest, of that. it's
6: the biggest PC gaming like, yeah. service. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Um. Headsets sales of VR headsets did go up about thirty percent during the pandemic. Um. But that not was surprising. kind of alongside a of surge in video game sales. Yeah. It was not...
6: VR headsets were already were yeah. already boosting, and the pandemic definitely it emphasized yeah. that because it's like, hey, I'm stuck in my house. What can I do? Well, I'll buy like a two hundred dollar Oculus. So yeah. I can, you know, walk around it, and fight ninjas in my living room.
5: And, and VR is, like, real. Like, VR is cool. Like it's, it, it, I, it, I have it, a VR headset. I've yeah, had it for
6: it, years. It, it can do one of the things
5: that um, – I, I when I talk about, like, what it takes for technology, new technology to, like, go viral, to become, like, endemic, it has some of that, which is that as soon as you put one of these on most people, unless you're one of the people that it makes sick, most people, if you put the, put them on and you show them the right thing, they're like – Oh, this is actually way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that is like, I'm I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not poo-pooing the entire idea of VR. Um, And there's, there's, there's been some successes on it. Like Half-Life Alex sold about 2 million copies. Yeah. um, Which is huge for VR, but like also nothing for a video game. Like that's like for a big, for a fucking Half-Life game, that's shit. Which just, it just shows that it's still like fractional, which I, I don't think any of these people are kind of missing um, but it does kind of point to, again, the the degree to which this technology would have to leap up for I- anything like what Facebook, what yeah. we're about to talk about, like it, for that to actually be popular. Yeah, th- there's
6: a difference between developing VR gaming yeah. and developing this metaverse concept, which goes way beyond VR gaming. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, but I... I so I, what I find... What I find so like doomed about this isn't the technology even though I think it's important to acknowledge there's a long way to go just in terms of like how heavy it is how much yeah. space you need how, how
6: graphics not fully making,
5: immersive it is you know yeah, more, yeah, yeah. trying yeah. to
6: remove lighthouses making it even more like, mobile yeah there's, lot, yeah
7: there's a lot there's a lot of stuff even that the control to be
6: schemes are still kind yeah. of jank like
5: yeah there's a lot to yeah. be done but all of that's i mean Think about the first iPhone, right? It was like a fucking
6: brick compared to the shit today. All all of of that gets better. Yeah, and all of that. The first VR headset compared to the Oculus 2, it's like a massive improvement in basically every way.
5: I I don't think when people criticize this stuff by pointing out like how primitive VR is today, I don't think that means anything. Um, It is like worth noting, you know, its current level of adoption, but it's not, people compare this to like 3D TVs and stuff. It's not that. 3D TVs were immediately, obviously from the beginning, nothing but but a grift um cuz there nobody wanted what three, really wanted what 3D TVs had like VR people do want what VR does and eventually the tech will get there what's bullshit is the idea and this is why I think this article by Galt is so good the idea that VR is going to allow the poor and downtrodden of the world to have a slice of the good life and this is something Carmack is particularly bullish about quote not everyone can have a mansion, not everyone can have a home theater. These are things we can simulate to some degree in virtual reality. Now, the simulation is not as good as the real thing. If you are rich and you have your own home theater or mansion or in a private island, good for you. You're probably not the people who are going to benefit the most. Most of the people in the world lived in cramped quarters that are not what they would choose if to be if they had unlimited resources
6: incredibly deranged
5: yeah it's out of its mind because like like,
6: that's not how vr works like i have like i can put on my headset and load up like a nice forest and it's not it's not the feeling of being in a forest. like no it's not that's not how our senses work so until we can hack our own brains into feeling things we don't actually feel yeah then it's not a thing and we're nowhere close to that level of technology even
5: just to the degree that he's talking about like yeah you could you if you don't have a big home theater you could just like put it on and have a, a huge TV, and which is a thing that VR can do now. Like I've you, tried it; can, it. it's but not But it's great. not good. It, and it's, <laughs> like Garrison. You come over two, three times a week, and we watch movies with all of our friends in my living room. Like the good thing about it, like it's nice to have a, a large screen. I have a big TV, but, but like a big part of the, the experience, with people, like, it's you're a with your friends. Yeah. you're yeah. watching <laughs> them react. Like you're eating food together. You're doing all this stuff that will yeah. never really be possible in VR. I have a lot of respect for John Carmack. He made Doom, right? Like that's a third of my childhood. Um, he's out of his mind now. If he thinks that that's like what people want, what poor people want, like you've been rich for too long, sir. You you don't understand human <laughs> no, yeah, beings the, anymore. The,
6: the particular type of escape, like using yeah. VR as that type of escapism, is totally wrong because like yeah. VR can be escapism, but it's not going to trick you into thinking you're living in a mansion. That's not that's yeah. not how VR works because you're walking around a tiny room in your house. And yeah. you can't feel anything. You can like walk through cupboards, which is a great way to play VR games is you can just like hack it by walking yeah. into, stu- into stuff.
5: Um, and they're working on, so the, the article notes that Elon Musk is working on a brain machine interface called Neuralink. Um, <laughs> yeah, Neuralink, yeah. yeah. And who knows what it'll, I, I will say that's a little bit like the, how how realistic all of those dreams are um, is, is, is questionable. That said, something like what they're, claiming it is will eventually be figured out I have it will no and it
6: and it should it'll probably it probably should be destroyed
5: it probably <laughs> yeah, should be destroyed like um, not
6: put the chip in your brain
7: Don't
5: do it. Gabe what the newell is, is, is is really bullish on that technology gabe newell is the guy we have half-life for like he and he and john Carnack, yeah. if there's a mount rushmore of like gamer dudes it's t- they're on it
6: steam they make yeah. they make one of the what they make one of the better headsets
5: yeah Again, like we're about to talk about Mark Zuckerberg, who I do not think is a visionary. Both Carmack and Newell are visionaries. Doesn't mean they're right because visionaries are wrong all of the fucking time. It's part of their job. But they're both really, really fucking bullish on this. Newell is a big believer in like the promise of kind of what the Neuralink, the brain interface technology and VR. Uh, He told IGN in 2020, we're way closer to the matrix than people realize, which I don't think is the case. Um, And Newell is the person who I've just talked about like how smart he is. He is even more out of his mind than John Carmack on this shit. Um, In an interview with New Zealand's One News... He talked about his vision of the near future, which is a world in which brains and computers interface, and computers can make changes to the human brain. Uh huh. That's not a good idea. He called the human body a meat peripheral.
6: Jesus Christ! (laughs) Okay, so this is this is the thing. He has
5: lost his mind.
6: This is this is the thing about like VR and like the metaverse in general is over like emphasizing that. We basically just live in the meat space, and the meat space exists just to make content for the online space. Which is so and fucking And the online bleak. space is the yeah. actual real space, and we just have to operate inside our meat space to make content for that. This is like the way technology has been progressing, the way tech companies have been wanting things to go, and it's the most dystopian thing that's going to give so many people like disassociative me- mental disorders. Because, yeah, it's like, it sucks. Horrible for like, you. I, I, like, I'm I'm going to be super interested to see people of my generation, including yeah. myself, like how we develop mentally the next you know twenty years based on how kind of fake our lives have been because of how much we exist and socialize within this like false network. It's going to be interesting to watch.
5: I I used to be really optimistic about aspects of VR. I actually, when I was in Mosul, I filmed not that like other people did this before I did, but I was kind of one of the early people filming like a, a VR documentary of some combat of like the Battle of Mosul um aspects of which were aired as a 360 on a bunch of different like TV networks. Um and I had this belief that like yeah, VR because the visual aspect of VR is so good, you know, y- you know even at that point 2017 was already so good. Yeah. I had this belief that like well, if you could because the first time I ever went into a war zone, it was such an affecting experience, and I thought, like, oh, my God, if you could somehow carve out this moment of experience and, yeah. like, transmit it to other people, maybe that would mean something. Maybe I, it would, like, I have an impact on poss- people.
6: I, I do think that is possible in the long yeah.
5: term. Yeah, yeah, I, I think maybe. We'll, like, we'll like, see. The question is, like, can you, you ever like make horror. people give a shit? Yeah. If,
6: if, if, if you play, if like, horror games, the level of, like – anxiety and to some degrees trauma of playing a, like a really well-made horror VR game is incredibly intense. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that can be done very well. So I feel like that type of like surreal experience like a war zone could actually be carried over to some degree in VR to like change people's yeah. minds on like, hey, maybe war is not good. Yeah, um, I mean,
5: that that's the dream. I don't know how much I still believe that. But th- yeah. reading people like Gabe Newell and how they talk about this technology makes me lose some hope Um, yeah it makes me want to throw
6: all the headsets in a a river
5: (laughs) here's another thing Gabe Newell said in that interview Garrison after calling the human body a meat peripheral Uh uh-huh you're used to experiencing the world through eyes but eyes were created by this low cost bidder that didn't care about failure rates and RMAs and if it got broken there was no way to repair anything effectively which totally makes sense from an evolutionary perspective but is not at all reflective of consumer preferences
6: what the, the miracle fuck? of the human eye. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah. No, fuck like, it. Fuck eyes. Like, like, Dave. There, is, there is some aspects of transhumanism that I like. I like being yeah. able to like change like body parts I- at will with like my mind. But this type of stuff makes you want to throw all technology into a river. I, I support the idea of like, it would
5: be great if when people lose their eyes completely from like shrapnel or whatever, some sort of like degenerative disease, we could just pop new eyes in there. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. We start cloning eyes. I think that's a great thing. But eyes are amazing. No, <laughs> like yeah, the eye is incredible. They're, they're, like the most in, yeah. their
6: most impressive camera ever. Yeah. Like, we're nowhere close to replicating the no, abilities of th- the yeah. human eye.
5: Yeah. It it is not a low cost bitter. It is like <laughs> yeah. they're imperfect like everything that that is part of the human body. No, but like, like they do break he's down. he's upset
6: that he can't monetize it the same yeah. way, right? That's yeah. that's his problem. He's also talking about like, well, they break down. It's like,
5: "Motherfucker, have you used a computer? You're Gabe Newell. I know you've used a computer. Like, you want to talk about breaking every computer I've ever owned."
7: Yeah, I I've, I've used Steam before. Yeah. Like, yeah, I down. use Steam, motherfucker. <laughs> I like
5: you, I would rather have my eyes and I'm wearing glasses right now. Go suck an egg. And it it goes on cuz he 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 can't stop shit talking like reality. Uh, he talks about like in <laughs> yeah. the in the virtual world he wants to build. Uh, the real world will seem flat, colorless, blurry compared to the experiences you'll be able to create in people's brains. Um, and I want you to keep that in mind, my okay. my, my dear friends and colleagues, yeah. as we leap now into the Facebook live stream. I
6: mean, first of all, I think, would it be worth, like, explaining to – I know we, we've danced around what the metaverse is, but for people yeah, who are totally unfamiliar – do you think it would be worth giving a general explanation? Yeah, or will that be covered in the Facebook thing?
5: Th- that's kind of covered in the because because this is Facebook building it. But I I, I think it. we j- I, you're probably right that we should give a little bit of context about like where they got this idea because again, Mark Zuckerberg has never had an original not, thought in his life. He's not the life. first one to
6: do this. Um,
5: no. And and Gabe Newell and and um, John Carmack have had original thoughts in their life, but this is not a, an original thought from any of them. No. All of them, everyone, anywhere who talks about the metaverse. Um, is w- whether or not they know it a fan of Neil Stevenson um yes, who this wrote all based <laughs> on Neil Stevenson books. who wrote a book yeah. called snow crash where the point was that in the future the world is a dystopian corporatized nightmare and because things are in part because things are so bad an incredibly highly like advertised and monetized persistent internet called the metaverse that exists all around us and is totally immersive has come to dominate everyday life um and it's a bad thing like Snow Crash is a story of like wouldn't this future be horrible (laughs) yeah
6: it's not like hey this is a cool thing but these tech guys read this and are like oh yeah, that seems like fun we could do
5: that Neal Neil Stevenson who is yet another person I respect made one crucial flaw which is he gave the hero in his book a katana and because the hero in his book has a katana um, everyone was like wouldn't this be rad if this were the future let's make this be the entire future it's it's a real tragedy we do need
6: to abolish katanas like we would save so many lives I mean,
5: honestly you could probably make a strong case that the katana has a huge chunk of the cultural weight that it has because of neil stevenson um okay. he's a big part of that right you know you've got a lot of movies and stuff too but, but
6: yeah but like the, the katana cyberpunk I mean, kind of melding
5: yeah and it's it's a it's a it's a very i mean it's it's a bit dated now, but it's still like a good book to read. Like there's but, a bunch I mean, of silly stuff this, like you've that. You've
6: seen this replicated in a lot of yeah. other cyberpunk art, some better, some worse. Yes. Uh, every, some eh, worse, cough, cough, ready player one.
5: Yeah, and every, like every, um, not every cyberpunk sense, because there's people like Cory Doctorow who do some really cool shit. Um, But most cyberpunk sense has to some extent um borrowed from from yeah. Neil Stevenson's work. And Facebook's entire idea is based on this. And so the idea is that it is a persistent, fully immersive digital world that interacts with the real world. So you can be in VR hanging out with friends from around the world in like a fake living room and then like call someone and see like a video of them in the real world as they're like walking to a concert or whatever and like talk to them and like make play. Like that's the idea, right? Yeah. Um, so this video, this fa- it opens with, you know, you've got your your little introduction and music and stuff and then we see Mark Zuckerberg looking like a fucking golem. And android. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and the first thing that I really noticed about this is that he talks about how we're all going to do this together, meaning invent the technologies and use cases that are going to make the metaverse worthwhile. Um, And when he says all of us, this is not an internal Facebook video. This is a video, the meta video is heavily angled towards developers um, and investors. Um, And it's been viewed by a lot of people, like 12 million to date. But he's talking about like a big part of what he's saying is that like, the technology for all of the stuff that we've rendered because most of what's rendered in this isn't game footage so to speak like it's not a no. game but whatever it's here's how it might look if the technology is ever invented yeah, like n- nothing um, nothing is like in engine or anything close to it it's yeah. all no. it's
6: all speculative
5: what's interesting about this to me is that he's he is saying we're going to build this together and and sort of acknowledging that like facebook does not have the capacity to make this thing they've dreamed about but Facebook's going to own it. So he's uh, a lot of like, this is him tacitly admitting, I want to take your surplus value to make a metaverse that I then control and monetize entirely at my own discretion.
7: Which is cool. It's great. Uh, it's also like, I think, you know, I, I think if, if, if you want a sign of where this is actually going and like the actual creativity behind this, like, okay, again, everything in that video is a mock up, right? It looks like dog shit. It's it does. so ugly, it's, it's- hideous. It looks like okay. a fucking
5: Connect game or like a fucking Wii game, it which does, is yeah. fine but for a Kinect or a Wii, Wii. game, Wii but I better. don't want to live there. Like, it's all no. like yeah. weird and cartoony. Um. Yeah. So he talks about in, in kind of laying out why he thinks this is the future. Zuckerberg talks about how text used to be the basis of everything online, but yeah. now like photos and videos dominate, and that's a as, visual thing. Yeah. Yeah. As that change happened from like text to video to photos to videos, the next change he kind of frames it like the 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 obvious next evolution is to what he calls an embodied internet, where you're part of the experience, and that's the metaverse. Which again, I think that if you part don't. Is- I think that part has
6: some true. Elements. I, I agree.
5: I don't think he's entirely wrong there. Obviously, that's not his idea. Um, oh, running out of time. Okay, Meeting thank is you for telling about
6: the host and now includes unlimited minutes.
5: Great. Uh, thanks, Zoom. Um, speaking of metaverses, um, uh, yeah, so like I, like Zoom, yeah. like
6: yeah. I mean, like, I'm gonna yeah. I'm,
5: I'm gonna flop on to a, a, a share screen and I'm gonna show you guys a section from this from this video.
8: Think about computers or phones today. Now, since we're doing this remotely today, I figured let's make this special. So we've put together something that I think is really going to give you a feeling for what this future could be like. We believe the metaverse will be the successor to the mobile internet. We'll be able to feel present, like we're right there with people, no matter how far apart we actually are.
5: Okay, so I'm pausing it here because I want you to watch this. The room that Mark Zuckerberg in is, is in, is, he's not in the metaverse yet. He's in like a house. I think it's yeah. supposed to be his house. It is clearly not a place it's human beings live. It's not, an actual house. It now. has been set dressed. Um, you One of the ways you can tell is that all of the books and picture frames on the bookcase are like the same flat tones because yeah. um, they're not meant to stand out. They're meant to blend in. And very tellingly, this is what's interesting to me, as soon as he steps into the frame where he's going to announce this, the thing that is directly next to his head is the only thing that's not, like, the same kind of beige as everything. It's a bottle of barbecue sauce, sauce that's being used as the yeah. bookend to a bunch of books. Now, Meta immediately after this, like, people joked about it online, and Meta started tweeting about it and, like, trying to make, like, jokes about, oh, Mark just loves his, you know, his, his barbecue so much. Like, they tried to turn it into a meme because they think it's humanizing. Yeah. And... And, and and kind of one aspect of the meme they were putting together is that like oh he just forgot to you know he just he's he's so into barbecue that he leaves his sauce around. that was put there on, on someone's orders like was, that was, was planned to,
6: it was to create me we're seeing we're seeing Marvel does as well yeah they're releasing promotional images specifically designed to be turned into memes and it doesn't work because it's so obvious like because people like you know yeah we're not going to use this because it's it's a it's a dog shit horrible like horrible cinematography bad colors it's it's not a fun meme but people did fall for the mark zuckerberg thing uh like oh look at the barbecue sauce but yeah no that was intentional to create like a viral thing to try yep
5: yeah anyway i'm gonna let mark uh continue here after i made my little point
8: When I send my parents a video of my kids, they're going to feel like they're right in the moment with us, not peering through a little window. When you play a game with your friends, you'll feel like you're right there together in a different world, not just on your computer by yourself. And when you're in a meeting in the metaverse, it'll feel like you're right in the room together, making eye contact, having a shared sense of space, and not just looking at a grid of faces.
5: So... That's important, because a big aspect of what he's trying to sell here, why he's he's trying to convince people that this is a real thing, is that it's a balm for loneliness, right? Yeah. um he is he is and he's one of the people who's responsible for for pushing our society to such an atomized and isolated direction facebook propaganda has isolated huge numbers of people from their families it's um and of course then there's just the aspect of it that is the lockdown which has isolated people a number of a lot of which ties back to disinformation spread on facebook but like yeah um he's 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 selling this you know as a this will make you less lonely it'll make you feel like you're all together yeah, um, and it's it's he he specifically says at one point this isn't about spending more time on screens. It's about making the time we spend on screens already better, um, which is horseshit. Because as the Facebook papers make clear, Facebook has repeatedly refused to do things that would have reduced the harm of their platform because it would have reduced the traffic that they've got. And I think those yeah. are the kind of decisions and, you can.
6: Yeah, I mean, and still, like te- technologically, we're still not there. Like when when, when you're in VR, yeah. you even if you're interacting with other like 3D like personas of people specifically like VR yeah. chat was very popular among, among like furries and i think they are honestly the best example of what the metaverse could actually be is how furries use VR chat um yes. but even still that is very different um than standing in a room with someone in a fursuit, suit right like it's yeah. it's totally it's to- it's totally different and metaverses and this type of thing I don't think we'll actually solve alienation. I I don't think no, because there, no. you're not actually touching anyone. Like it's it's no. not. it's you're not. A, it, there's still that 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 digital fog between you and everything else. Do I think there's some elements of it that could be developed specifically using AR that would make things a little bit cool? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not going to solve alienation as a concept. In fact, yeah, it could actually
5: make it worse. It could make it worse. Like, again, there's some use cases for, I don't know, people who have, like, ALS. Maybe you could develop some sort of rig that would allow them to interact, like, yeah. more with with people around them. And, like, that could be useful for those people. But, like, it is not a societal answer to loneliness. And I think one thing that makes that clear is you look at their vision of home spaces. So this is kind of the center of the of the metaverse they want to build is everybody has their little digital home Um, that you can set up and you can design to your liking and you can buy things like NFTs to decorate it. This becomes a big Uh part of the pitch that like NFTs are going to be in it. And like (laughs) that way you know that they have at one point like somebody buys like an autographed poster for a a Metaverse concert that's an NFT and they get to put it in their room and know that it's the only one of those posters or something, which is the dumbest thing I can imagine. Um, maybe it'll work. I don't know. I, I, I don't really see how that's any different from an NFT being revolutionary case than like, you know, being able to buy something in a fucking video game. No, it's, it's th- just the way people already hate to do.
6: Yeah, it's it's just yeah. buying skins or whatever bullshit cosmetic stuff.
5: I one number one of the things that's in entertaining about this is how bad a lot of the acting is for all of the money and time they have. Like Mark Zuckerberg is a shit presenter, and and this bit where he tries to explain why the home space is so cool, um, and it shows you like the, their home space. It starts at about four thirty on the video. If people at home want to watch, is just a perfect perfect encapsulation of like how inhuman this this world they want to build really feels. What even when they try to present it in its best face. <laughs>
0: Hey Mark. Hey, what's going
8: on? Hi. What's up Mark? Whoa, we're floating in space? Uh Who made this place? It's awesome.
3: Right? It's from a crater. I met in LA. Uh,
8: this place is amazing. (laughs) Boz, is that you? Of course it's me. You know I had (laughs) to be the robot man. I
3: thought
8: I was supposed
4: to be the robot.
3: (laughs) Whoa. I knew
8: you were bluffing. (laughs) Hey wait, where is Naomi? Let's call her. Naomi. Hey, should we deal you in?
3: Sorry, I'm running late, but you've got to see what we're checking out. There's an artist going around Soho hiding AR pieces for people to find. 3D street
8: art? That's
3: cool. Send that link over our
5: So I wanted to stop here because this is also part of like what's... It's this perfect... It's like NFT culture and all this shit. Like the street art they show, this is clearly them trying to be like, here's one of these cool use cases for how the metaverse is going to interact with and influence the real world. Like this artist pastes this art on a wall that when you look at it in the metaverse or when you you film it and you send a video to people in the metaverse it becomes this big 3D thing and it it just looks like shit it's just a bunch of like squiggly lines and stuff like it's not <laughs> like there's good graffiti especially in San Francisco there's incredible fucking graffiti um this is just like nonsense it looks like it looks like a fucking nft like it's just this this kind of shitty yeah it was obviously um,
6: designed by a computer not an actual person
5: <laughs> yeah and there's nothing like It doesn't say anything. There's nothing cool about it. Um, And they haven't, again, because Mark Zuckerberg can't conceive of art, there's nothing about this that, like, makes me think, oh, what a neat futuristic thing. It's just like, oh, cool, I can see squiggly lines um, both in person and on my phone.
6: I mean, the big part of the metaverse and, like, AR and VR is, like, you know, making depth within actually—making 2D space appear to be 3D space. This still just looks 2D. Like, it doesn't—it is not— it's not tricking my brain in any way whatsoever especially with the concept of like filming it on your phone we have the technology now like that's not that's not the metaverse that's just filming it already on your little box as mark yeah. zuckerberg said and
5: we have the technology to do like that ar thing with fucking um uh yeah. like with, with your
6: pokemon go did that like yeah. 5 yeah. years ago
5: and it's not what people want
7: um
6: Well, Pokemon Go, well, Pokemon was, Go was for but a like, long time. Yeah, but Pokemon the,
7: Go was the closest we ever got to world peace, and it was a CIA. Yeah. I mean,
5: so.
6: Pokemon Go is probably <laughs> the closest we ever got to like the metaverse, like realistically.
5: Yeah. But people don't want people don't want to like take photos of crappy street art that then no. becomes three D, yeah. but still isn't like I don't know. there's it, it is
6: it's, it is incredibly grim that most of yeah. like the case uses for metaverse stuff. The only thing they can imagine it being is like fucking meetings. This yep. is like the biggest thing that they show. He's like, yeah. "Oh, we can make that, virtual meetings."
5: They've tried that the video that we just played. They're all in like this spaceship and everybody's 3D or like one person it looks like kind of a hologram of their real body. Some people are just like 3D rendered cartoons of themselves. One person's a big robot. And they're all like floating in zero G and playing yeah, cards, like sitting at
6: a table and playing virtual and, cards. And there's like a bed in the background, but like yeah. you can't go in the bed because it's not a fake. It's a fake area. No, like, and you're no, not floating in
5: zero G because
6: no, VR will never be able to
5: room. trick you into thinking you're sitting yeah. in a in a in your chair in a room with some shit on your face. You're, you're fucking Carl Havoc and trying to pretend that you're, like, having a good time playing cards with your friends. It's like, yeah, if I could have a space station house where my friends and I could float around and play cards, that would be sick. But you're not promising you're not me that, are you, Mark? You're not
7: actually
6: doing that. No. Um, I mean, like, so I, there is there is games that simulate zero-G. They don't yeah. trick you. They make you no. nauseous. Sometimes yeah. it can be fun. But, like, it's I'm not going to be fooled. Yeah, in the same way that eating Hawaiian G.
5: baby wood rose seeds can be fun. Um, exactly. Yeah. So he, he goes on to talk about the avatars that you'll have, which are basically, he describes them as pro, uh, profile pictures, but much richer because they're live, which I find they're, unsettling nope. in part by thinking about what will happen when people die to their digital avatars, but whatever. Um, at this point, he goes on to talking about how peop- he thinks people are going to actually use these avatars, and it's, um, it's very unhinged.
8: One for hanging out, and maybe even a fantasy one for gaming. You're going to have a wardrobe of virtual clothes for different occasions designed by different creators and from different apps and experiences.
5: So one of the things he's talking about that is exciting is that like you'll be able to have a different avatar for uh, like work if you're in a work meeting or like hanging out with your friends. Um, And to me, that says like, oh, so now I'm going to be expected to like maintain and keep up an avatar for like my job. And like dress that fucking thing, and then I'll have to like switch to hang out with people. And like, <laughs> why, why does that, what does that provide me? Being able to like sit in a room as an avatar that I don't currently have, like through Zoom, like, why, why is, in what world is that something people Again, want, Mark? The, the
6: only, only good use case for this is furries. This is yeah. the, the only way it's worked because they, that, has yeah. almost like a true representation of their own body. What what's this is going to do for regular for like people who are not furries? Is mm-hmm. it'll probably give people a lot of weird like dysmorphia. Yeah. It's, um, it... Or if you're or if you're trans and you make a female avatar, assuming like like you know for, for me, if yeah. I was to make like an avatar that's more feminine, that can be fun for me. Um, but for a yeah. lot of people, these weird like digital versions of themselves will probably just they're just like uncanny valley, and it'll probably just make you feel weird. <laughs>
5: Yeah, um and he's he's so focused on like this as a way for people to work together while being remote, which says a lot like it's seventh like a, a, like about a half a minute after this point or a minute or so after this point. He brags that your home space can even have your own personal office where you work, which is Within the metaverse. Within the metaverse, which sure. is really Sounds like bleak a, to me. Just odd. like, also, that's yeah, you can go to your work eyes. digitally. Yeah, God, it's why? It's going
6: to ruin your eyes.
8: Why would you cannot I... wear
6: VR goggles that long. Your eyes get ruined because it's blasting light into your retinas. Yeah. And it, it's also just like, I, like sitting with a laptop,
5: and I have a laptop, and I have a, a second screen for my laptop. And I sit at my comfortable living room table, and I, I write and browse the internet and research and stuff. And yeah, every now and then like I hunch over too much and my back gets a little bit sore, but like it's not, it's its pretty comfortable and I can get up and move and do stuff in the house putting a bunch of shit on me. And sitting still and like being unable to perceive the world around me and locked into this uncomfortable digital desk. Cause it's later on, whenever they do, there's this mix of you can see the videos of the, the technology as it actually exists and they're aspirational. And the aspirational version, it's like you're in this gorgeous three dimensional office that looks yeah, like, something like a Yeah, you're playing
6: basketball both in real life a, and in yeah. the hologram, which is first of all just impossible. Like you're never gonna going happen. to do. Like, never, ever going to happen. It's like, just um, physically impossible. But, but when you see the clips
5: of like – what, because the, they do have aspects of this built. When you see the clips of like the workspaces they have built, it's like, oh – Eighty percent of my screen is the Microsoft Word app or Excel um, as it or, or Outlook as it currently exists, and twenty percent of it is like the edges of this little VR office. Yeah. So it, all I'm looking at is I'm seeing a full eye version of like whatever apps I'm using. You can
6: yeah you can you can get a VR headset. You can download virtual desktop. You yeah. can bring your desktop into your v, into your VR space it's not useful like it's like no. it's yeah. it's it's novel for the first 20 minutes and then you get bored of it cuz you realize that you can't actually see your keyboard so you can't type as fast yeah there's so like, a great
5: joke about this in the
6: last season community. of Community. Yeah, Community where has the like dean the best like, example <laughs> of, of, of the metaverse, where he's like, yeah. "I," because like uh, the big part of like Epic Games' version of the metaverse is like mm-hmm. interacting with like brands and all yeah. of your apps within a three three D digital space, which is what uh, the dean does in Community. He has to like yeah. run to his email, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. like this is a great example of why this technology is never going to actually catch on for regular people because that's not how they use the internet. you you, you don't want to traverse a three D digital space to get to your email email that's, that's asinine.
5: Yeah, and it's – there's aspects of it that are asinine and there's aspects of it that are the, just, thus, just impossible. So like a big thing that he's hitting on with this is interoperability, which is like you want to be able to trans tra- travel between different apps, between different programs that different people have made, and you want to be able to take like whatever items you buy, whatever NFTs you have with you. Um and he's talking about like this will work in games. This is a thing that like you've seen people talk about with like the promise of e- N- NFTs for gaming. Like you could get an item that like is yours, so they they can't nerf it or or whatever, and like Jeez. it'll travel for you from game to game. There's a a developer I follow on on Twitter. He made the game Adios, which is about like a a, a guy who disposes of bodies for the mob and tries to quit. It's a it's a cool game. He's a, he's a good developer. Doc something or other. He wrote a huge article about like why none of this, NFTs can't work for gaming. Um, That also hits on, like, why what Zuckerberg's saying is impossible, which is that, like, so you're saying that everyone who makes a game has to has to build in like a way to handle every single item that you could possibly get in the metaverse no, and everything yeah, is, that you're it's having a like nightmare it, for developers it, it, yeah it's, it, it's an unthinkable challenge um it's and and like why and what if a game shuts down right like are you saying they have to continue operating the game forever and updating it forever even once it's no longer profitable so that you can keep using your item like no it's just it's it's functionally impossible um but it's it's it, I, what's interesting to me is he's talking about all this he has to know this is impossible when he does there's all these scenes like you said where people are like playing basketball and like one of them's in the real world and one of them's in VR but they're both playing on a real world and court they're interacting and so the person with the in, ball yeah with a with a virtual ball and it's like number 1 how is the person in the real world? How do they feel that ball? He says some vague shit about like haptic feedback, which doesn't work that way. No, y- um, maybe there's a way if you're wearing like a glove that it could trick you into believing you were hitting a ball or something. Um, and, but, yeah, like, and,
6: like n- and not everyone's wearing headsets. Like, nah, it's well, they're just. With- we'll get to that in
5: part two, the headset okay. question. Um, but it what what what's interesting is that like a huge amount of the the coolest stuff, the stuff that you can be like, well, that would be neat. Yeah, if I could fucking. If I could fucking play um, pool with my friend in Germany and it would feel like we were both in the same room um, even though only one of us is standing around a real pool table, yeah, that would be an amazing feat of technology. It's never going to happen. Certainly not in any kind of reasonable time frame. Mark knows that. All that is going to happen at most is like a digital conference suite that like is – damages people's eyes and brains – um and he knows that but he's angry that zoom beat him to the to the punch when the pandemic hit um and this yeah. is his like that's kind of one of the sinister things about it um there's other sinister shit which we'll talk about in part 2 but you know what guys that's it's time enough. to end part 1 this yeah. is enough for part 1 we'll 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 talk more about we'll talk about what's really frightening about a lot of what mark's trying to build in part 2 but for right now i want to talk about ending the episode which I guess I just did.
0: Goodbye.
5: Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, Uh the show where we're talking right now about the metaverse that a bunch of rich people think that you're going to want to live in once they ruin the regular world um, uh, and why it's dog shit. And it is dog shit. So it's just it's just it's just total dog shit. Um, Everything about this, I don't know, seems like a waking nightmare to be. To me so far, if we're actually talking about like what they are, what they are immediately trying to, because a bunch of this is aspirational nonsense that, as we've stated, is like you are never going to play a perfect game of basketball in a mix of real and AR courts with your friend in Hong Kong. Like that's never going to happen. Never. That's Um, not how uh, physics works. That's not how physics works. That's not how electronics works. Maybe when we find out how to literally hack the human brain, we can like. Put you into a, cu- a quasi seizure state that that that, the-
6: that mimics <laughs> that, but like the closest that- the closest thing we have to this right now is actually uh VR board games is the best yeah. is the best example of this where you can play with. You can play Settlers of Catan with your friend across the globe. Yeah, and there's some cool shit you can do with haptics. And haptic
5: feedback is like, the, the basic example of it is when you like touch your phone and your phone like vibrates under your hand to like let you know that you've you've touched like a, a command. Yeah. And there's there's people who think like at some point we would be, we we may be able to make using haptic feedback like a virtual keyboard that feels like a real keyboard. That might be possible. I'm Again, very skeptical of, that's of still, that. That's still like kind of... Like yeah. the idea of a keyboard that isn't there but feels like a real yeah, keyboard that is, might we're, be possible. We
6: are nowhere close to that. That's
5: still on the fringes of possibility. Like this, the fucking shit they're showing in this video is like nonsense. We will have laser cannons before we have any of this bullshit. Like yeah. we will be shooting each other in space before we have this nonsense. Um, and thank God for that because at least that sounds fun. So the actual center of what they've built in terms of the products that that Facebook uh, is launching now for the Metaverse Um, The core of it is Horizon Home and Horizon Worlds. And I think Horizon is kind of the brand they're going with for all of their different like meta programs. Um, Horizon Home is the home spaces thing that they discussed earlier where people can like make their own like houses. And one of the things they don't talk about in this, they keep saying like you can build whatever you want. You can make it look like anything. They don't say a word about how like decorating your digital home is going to be monetized. Um, versus how much of it will be sweat equity. And again, like the smart thing would be make it all sweat equity. Make it like Minecraft. Make, make people like be Minecraft, able yeah. to to build anything they can conceive of if they're actually creative enough and spend the time. They won't do that. Um, as they talk about in that, like in the video they played, like we're like, oh, this is a cool world. It was made by a developer. Like, yeah, you're going to b- buy the cool shit. Um, I, don't, I don't know. We'll yeah, see. you're
6: going to buy it and it's going to suck because all you can do yeah. is sit at a table. Yeah, and, and it's like you can't like go into bed like you can't like all of this stuff is just cosmetic. Like it and you're not gonna be tricked into thinking it's real. I've I've been in some yeah. cool VR like three D rooms and like they're cool to look at for like but, ten minutes. Yeah. But you can't it gets do anything. Boring. Yeah. yeah, like it's easier. Like, oh yeah, it's like the real world, but I can't touch anything. And and when they <laughs> show
5: you the stuff that's closer to real, like the different like people chatting in the metaverse and whatever, yeah. it it doesn't look fun. There's a there's a scene where no. they like show people like watching a YouTube video together in the metaverse, and they're all like these disembodied upper torsos because of course VR your sets legs. can't can't yeah. read your legs. So it's like a bunch of torsos floating around a maximized YouTube video window, yep. and it's like. I would rather just show a friend my phone. <laughs> like yep. I would even rather yeah. text them a video. <laughs> you know what's and what's actually them...
6: realer than that <laughs> yeah. is being in person with somebody and watching yeah. it on a on a phone. Or even, but even even if w- without, like it's the ki- I think
5: that they're expecting that, like everyone's kind of bummed when they send a friend a video over signal or text and like what? wait for them. No, I would rather do that no. than this shit. I don't want to no. hang out as I a don't bunch don't of don't torsos to, like, around a YouTube. Window. I don't want to
6: schedule a a VR session every time I want to share a YouTube video. No, that
5: sounds horrible.
6: And it sounds like I would constantly have to
5: be in VR. Like, he talks about how we're not trying to expand f- f- screen time, but like, yeah, am I just waiting around in VR to like show friends yeah. YouTube they videos? They are really unclear
6: about how often you need to be in a headset. Yeah. And it's it's kind of suspicious. It's almost yeah. like they don't actually plan on doing anything. So there's it's a, all bullshit.
5: I'm going to play another video that they claim to be a use case. And the way this video starts is like, this actual person is in an actual real-world concert for some guy I've never heard of That Facebook. I think he's he's some clearly some sort of musician with a following that Facebook hired to do a concert for this video. Rad. And she, like, calls her friend on the metaverse, and her friend digitally hops into the concert, and they, like, the digital girl and the real girl are, like, dancing together at the show, which, uh-huh. I don't know, whatever. Like,
6: that is more possible than the basketball shit. Um, I mean, yeah, watching... a Having a like a yeah. VR version of standing in a room where a musician plays, sure. I mean it's not gonna yeah, be tons it's of fun, but it's doable. I, 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 yeah, I
5: would debate like whether or not it's doable. But then after that, they see like during the concert, this like digital thing pops up that's like, Do you wanna go to a free after party? Um and first off, all of these after parties will cost money and they'll all be dog shit, but Um, that's the same with most real after parties. So I guess that's, that's at least Facebook, uh, accurately delivering on, on the promise of the real world. Um, but I, I want to play like what happens in this metaverse after party that these two both hop into digitally after one of them. So like, as this starts, the lady who was actually at the concert, like sits down at home and gets into the metaverse.
8: Imagine your best friend is at a concert somewhere across the world. What if you could be there with her? Yeah.
6: Real, yeah, re- real and clear how that works. Yeah, real
5: clear like, how, how that works. Like how does the
6: person at the concert see the holographic version? How does the holographic person see that? Yeah, is
5: she wearing all like, that like, shit while she's are, dancing? Are, is yeah.
6: everyone wearing VR and seeing the world through VR? Because I'll tell you what, like right now I'm I, 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 in our brain. You're wearing an Oculus this I put on an Oculus as a joke. And right mm-hmm. now I, I have it on the pass-through mode, which means I can see the real world through my cameras yeah. in the Oculus. And you know what? It looks like shit. Yeah, it's black and, it, and white. It's super grainy. I can't. There has it has no like exposure range. Yeah, everything is like it's it's like it's, you like, look has, like, like you're tracers. wearing a
5: sunglasses case in your it's on messy. your in front of your face. <laughs> and, like, like I you can look see like the shit. world,
6: but like I can't do anything because it all is like a horrible digital like copy. And, like, like I can't. Uh, uh, like it's not real. Like I can't again, do anything.
5: Aspects of this, like at, at some point, pass-through mode will be in color and the latency will be low some, enough some, that you won't really notice RER, it, yeah. right? Like, and it, there won't be latency and like, yeah, but it'll- But it's not gonna be th- as it'll good as looking at it with thing. your human eyeball, and, yeah. And it'll it'll <laughs> still be a thing, so that girl's gonna have to be at a concert, dancing, getting super sweaty, and like, she's wearing something, even if it's as small as like regular glasses, yeah. and she's not like,
6: I guess I'll, that, I'll talk that about would this be more better, the, but like, I'll talk whatever. about this more at the end, but like the, if people are actually gonna develop this, this yeah. technology, The real way to do it is with AR, not not VR, because with AR, yeah, you could have put on like actual glasses and have like a person show up on the thing and make it look like they're there while actually still seeing the real world. That's going to be the way to do it. Yeah. Um, And and I think that is what they're trying to do it.
5: Yeah, I think that's what they're like claiming here, but it's really unclear how it's all going to interface. How the AR is going to interface with like the full VR stuff? Like, are we going to have two separate sets of gear—one for when we're in the real world and we can't be fully immersive—and yeah. one for when we want to dive into the metaverse? Do we always carry that around? Both? Yeah.
6: Do we always carry that around wherever we yeah. go?
5: Yeah, but i, I want to play the section. I, I sorry, I played the video where they were at the concert just because it. It looks very silly. I want to play the section where they're at the after party because it it's dystopian as fuck. So here's the all all metaverse after party that looks like a bunch of fucking connect avatars standing around a ne- like a, a, a room made out of glowing neon, a
6: digital room. Yeah,
5: nobody's drinking, which is the only good thing to do at an after party that's not cocaine. So from from the jump, I'm like, well, what is the only good thing about an after party is if you want more drugs. And all of the drugs places are closed, hey, so you but go may- to an maybe, after party.
6: Maybe at the end you can hook up with a digital avatar.
5: Yeah, it's, anyway, I'm just, be, gonna it. I'm just going to play be fun. I'm just going to play this dog shit. <laughs>
8: Where they were. This is wild. Is it? <laughs> is it?
5: They're just slowly dancing. He's a giraffe man. Hey,
9: check this out charity auction NFTs
5: for uh, yeah charity auction for so NFT you merchandise party, you
8: could with other fans. that looks like shit
6: new versions of your favorite song.
8: yeah it looks dog shit well, now you've got oh, to get
6: it. God. Yeah, so... It's like, what, it's, it's a it's a horrible 3D chat room. We already have these. These already exist, yeah. and they're not tons of fun. The and, only and time like, they're fun is when you're in fursuits and you're walking around a fake city destroying it. That's the only fun way to do this.
5: <laughs> and, and the thing they're showing in this is that, like, a, a, a an autographed poster for the concert... Um, Is is an NFT that you can buy for a charity auction. And like as they're looking at it, the actual musician walks by and tells them it looks cool. And so they buy it and they they have the musician come in for that. Number one, to like try to make this kind of like, yeah, you'll be able to do these digital events where you can meet actual celebrities, which like no. I'm sure celebrities will agree to do Q and A's in the multiverse like they do anywhere else, but they're not going to just walk around in some dog shit virtual party. No, because they have money and they can do actual
6: fun things in the actual real world. They're going to be
5: fucking supermodels while skiing down a mountain in Lake Tahoe because they're rich. Um, They're going to be like flying in their private jets or, or driving in a fucking yacht and eating lobster that's been tortured. So it tastes better because they're rich. Like. They're they're not going to be hanging out in a digital lobby telling you that a fucking dog shit poster NFT is cool and that you should buy it Um, unless you're a millionaire and they want your money because uh, they're Nicolas Cage and they have an addiction to buying Tyrannosaurus parts. I don't know. It's it's silly. It's it's ridiculous. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that I thought about when I was watching this is like the concept of metaverse culture. Um, so like at some point, if this is a thing, there's going to be like like if there ever is a metaverse, people will develop a culture for it. Just like they've yeah. developed a culture for Twitter, a culture for Reddit, a culture for Facebook, just as there were like internet culture or was Final internet Fantasy, World before. of Warcraft. Yeah. Yeah, it happens with every community you make online. Um, and and that's the thing, like there's no I see no space in this thing that Mark Zuckerberg has envisioned as he is presenting it for organic yeah, no. evolution of a none culture. None of the yeah. things
6: in here are going to make people want to form a culture around it because it's all yeah. it looks like it looks like boring yuppie shit. All of it. Yeah. Like, none of it is actually looks cool or fun and like, none of
5: it. None of it is he's not talking about any of it with like the there's no there's no openness in it like there's no, I don't see where a culture could evolve and if one does it's going to be directly like in opposition to Facebook moderation
7: Um, like yeah it, um it, well yeah and i mean and there's there's an extent to which like they can't right because like if if you actually let people just like do things like imagine the griefing that's gonna happen in one of these spaces yeah. right like every person's avatar is going to be like sixteen thousand dongs yeah like, that's, just, that's literally this all it's gonna be like this is this is this is what twitch looks like right like every yeah, twitch it, chat is just a guy posting a hydra made of dongs like it like they, they, none of none of this can actually work if you let people do literally anything But if you don't let people do anything like why would you? No ever... one's gonna want to do it. Yeah, and yeah. It, like, it how was... how are you gonna sell them this crap?
5: Like, <laughs> the, once upon a time, there was a game called Second Life. I guess it still exists, but it people talked. People talked about it the way they're talking about the metaverse now, and that yeah. became just like it, it. It was never that, but there was like this beautiful moment where this, I think, Anshi Chung was her name. Um, this like culture writer kind of uh, expert lady was like doing q and A Q&A in Second Life that was like billed as being this like big event for the platform that was going to like make people take it seriously and a bunch of like users showed up and made a bunch of floating dicks like float through the room during the interview so that like while this person was trying to talk seriously about second life just like floating cocks were zooming past her head the the entire time and it was extremely funny and it's it's exactly the kind of thing that like yeah mark that's what all of this is going to look like any mass event is going people will find a way to grief it um and that will in fact be the thing they most want to do is that will be the actual
6: culture part is fucking with facebook
7: yeah yeah but you know but the the part about that that sucks it's like yeah you know like you're you're in a virtual reality thing right so like okay what are people gonna do in a virtual reality it's well okay you're gonna get you're gonna get a bunch of neo-nazis like figuring out a way to like show you just like the worst shit you've ever seen in your life like it's, it's gonna it's gonna be all the stuff from the 2000s where like half of the internet was just like a video of, well I, this is two thousand tens too like half of Twitter is just beheading videos except now it's in yeah. VR. It's like yeah, yeah that's imagine ISIS
5: in the metaverse. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, that's oh, some of that's
6: even already happening in like VR yeah. social media apps. I know of a few specific Nazis involved in January sixth yep. who networked and met with people via of uh, specifically VR chat. So mm-hmm. like this this is already a thing. Um and making it of even more it broad than like this small, you know, because VR right now is mostly just a yeah. small subsect of like gaming culture, right? And people are yeah. into it because there is VR games that are cool, like 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 Beat Saber is fun, right? Yeah, that's why there's, people, there's that's why, fun that's why VR games, it. yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, the, in order to, for them to break this through into the mainstream, they need to make it appealing some way, and the only way they're making it appealing right now is by doing meetings and like concerts. Yeah. So the next part I
5: want to play doesn't say a lot about the future Mark's trying to build, but it's very funny because it's him sitting down with a woman who works in his gaming department and she's walking him through like what games are going to be integrated into the metaverse. And it fucking reads like, an I think you should leave sketch. Like it feels like a sketch where the joke is that everyone is awkward and not talking yeah. the way human beings talk. Yeah. And in case you can't watch this chunk of the video and it starts at about like 1934 um, in the actual Facebook video all of the video games they're talking about, like look dog shit, they look like the Kirkland brand of like popular like fighting games and FPSs and stuff. None of them look very good. Um, so I'm gonna play a clip from this because it's very funny.
3: This can build out active communities. Beat Saber has a passionate community. Oh, I love Beat Saber. So do I. And Beat Saber just passed $100 million in lifetime revenue on Quest alone. It's a great example of a game that keeps releasing fresh content. They've actually been working on evolving the way that you interact with the tracks and feel the music. (laughs) The
5: way he's nodding in this, like his digital avatar looks more like a person.
6: Well, here's some Beat Saber. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looks like regular Beat Saber. Yep. But it's it's VR, it, it it's our it's already is VR. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's already a VR game. I
3: can't wait to play this. And they do this with it. incredible artists to release new music packs all the time. You Did can do you this play the right the now. But, music pack god, last month? A little more
8: than I should have. I probably should have been working more on this metaverse presentation.
3: <laughs> well,
6: oh god,
5: in every scene where she's talking to him and he's just like bobblehead nodding just a little bit, but not in
6: like it's. He looks so fake. Mark
5: actually will benefit from the metaverse like outside of a financial thing because a a sculpted 3D representation of him will be a thousand times better. It looks more human than he does. looks like more of a person. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just like he's scripted it badly and he's a narcissist, so he has to be the one to present it. Again, a smart... Oh, I
6: love Beat Saber. Number uh one,
5: if Steve Jobs were doing this, number one, he wouldn't because he understood what people wanted from technology. But if he were doing something like this, he would introduce like little chunks of it and then he would have a famous person who's charismatic introduce the rest of it like yeah that's yeah like <laughs> it wouldn't be it wouldn't would be fucking how him it, sitting at like a bobble listening and to like he, talk he would introduce vr
6: and ar into a way that actually integrates how people use the internet already because yes. there is ways that there is ways of doing yes, it there's th- but it's techn- not this like yeah. super monetized nft like bullshit holographic yeah. fake stuff
5: yeah, and there's there's aspects of this, like he goes through after this, like there's a bunch of gaming stuff, which is impossible for the reasons we've talked about. And then there's aspects of it that seem cool. Like there's a scene where like an architect gets onto his digital office and like somebody sends him uh, schematics to a, a, a building they're making and he's able to generate it in 3D and walk around the building. Like,
7: okay, that actually That's seems actually possible. useful. Yeah, and yeah that like seems like useful. Well, like
5: you've developed a
7: use case for the all well, of the maybe, architects like, out there. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm, I'm still not convinced that Cat would actually be better in 3D than it would be like sure it's debatable
5: I I think maybe
7: someday that could actually be useful I think it it could
5: be like if you are one of the increasingly small number of people who can afford to like build a house of your own. I can see why it would be neat to be like, okay, well let's do a 3d render of the house and I can walk through it. And I could maybe make changes at the last moment as I'm kind of experiencing you know, that, the that, flow is, of that the is room definitely where a window is like, yeah, I can, that, that seems like something, number one, technologically, you could do that more or less now. Um, I don't think it's, it's not going to be as instantaneous as this, but if you give it time to render, it could be done. And it, it's something that a number of people might find useful, but again, that's a niche product. Because, like eighteen people in our generation because, are buying homes. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and
6: also it's 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 expensive to develop because you would have you, just modeling an actual yeah. real life location is a lot of work. Yeah. Um, now there is there is a tele- lot of lot of technology that's getting way better at it by yeah, using like cameras to, to do um, it and like stuff. basically filming yeah. a space and and, sh- and the the computer can reconstruct it pretty accurately. Yeah. Uh, I, so that, that that is a growing field, but still it is it's a very niche you know area at least at this yeah.
5: point. Yeah. So I, the thing that is, so anyway, there's aspects of this that are ridiculous aspects of this that seem neat, but the longer you watch it, the thing that comes, becomes really clear is that all he's really advertising is mass surveillance. That's the problem with, yeah. Yeah. There's a point in this video where they're showing you how they can like map a real world location. So you can be in your actual house, put on your VR glasses, um, and it can map the, uh, your actual home digitally in real yeah. time, and as you in as you pick up real things in your house, you you see them being picked up in VR, and presumably other people in VR could see it.
6: Which we are um, not
5: quite there yet.
6: I I stay pretty up in VR technology. We're getting close to this, but we're not. Yeah. we're not quite there. I mean,
5: we we're we actually we actually are aware what they show in the video, and I, I'm going to play you a second uh, from it because I want to show least you for, something like, here. At least I mean, like well, for like
6: consumer products, we're not we're not at this point yet.
5: Yeah, and I I, I want to show you uh where we are cuz th- th- this video they're showing like actual footage so they have built this thing but there's a catch and so i'm just going to play it right now all right
0: out the researcher so what's critical
4: here is that this is all happening in
5: real time That's so if important. you i'm i've just paused it what well, you've got here on one side there's a woman in a real like house sitting and picking up like a a, a toy home on her yeah. couch and then on the left, you see the VR version of her house, which looks close to photorealistic. And like yeah. the house that she's holding in the real world is floating in the same way that she's holding it. Like her body isn't there. Yeah. But like the stuff she's interacting with is. But if you look at the house she's holding, the reason that they're able to do this and it really does work is it's covered in sensors. It's covered in sensors. And and yeah. actually every single thing in the real house is covered in sensors Um, because that's the only way for this to work Everything right now. Everything
6: that's moving is covered in sensors. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And it, it is impressive. Like as a proof of concept, like this, this is here. We can do this. But like – it's still light years away from practical and more to the point when you look at this, you realize that like, well, if this is ever going to work, the only way to make it work is for Facebook through this service to map your entire home yeah. in real time every hour always, of the always. day. yeah. And they also go on to talk about like how you're going to have gesture commands and like you'll be able to like make an expression or like a hand gesture and that will do things, which means that like – this service isn't just learning what's in your home and what you do with the things in your home. It's it's learning your facial expressions and your gestures and like what they mean and interpreting those at yeah. all times.
6: I can kind of explain where Oculus, which is owned yeah. by Facebook, I think they're technically renaming Oculus, uh, yeah. in spring to just calling it the Meta Quest. Um, yeah, but so the where what? At- wait, 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 wait! The Meta Quest that that that's what they're calling it instead of instead yeah. of Oculus Quest. It's going to be Meta Quest. Um okay <laughs> so where where they're at right now is basically uh the only kind of real world interactivity that they have for their VR headsets, again for like the consumer models, I don't know what's in like development, mm-hmm. um, is uh, hand tracking. This is this is the thing they've been working on for a long time. Is that you put on the headset and yeah. the camera, like the cameras and depth sensors built into the headset, can see your hands. And like you said, you have like gesture controls uh, where you can do certain things with your hand, and it'll make certain things happen. This is the only interactivity that that we have. It's Okay, it's not perfect. Like it's yeah. it, it is it is better than a lot of the other hand tracking s- systems from other companies. But like it's it's it is very much a work in progress. Um, and the way to make this work is by v- is very good depth sensing cameras, which I think Apple makes some of the best ones right now that they put into the iPhone. Uh, the other way of doing this is with uh, lighthouses. So this is like separate um separate like uh, uh separate cameras that you set up around the corners of your house that project. Uh, different like wavelengths of light, and get, they get it received back, so they can map your house um, with not just cameras, but also like like in like infrared sensors and that kind of thing. So th- these these are like the two methods of doing it. Uh, Facebook is really trying to go full out, full on to the everything is built into the headset thing. So yeah, no, so no like lighthouses. Everything is just depth depth sensing cameras. So that's why they're working on hand tracking so much because that's something you can actually do. But like I can't pick up anything. Um, like the, the only thing I can pick up is my controllers, which because they've, yeah. they have sensors built in, they can be rendered in the actual game uh, the same way like my hand can be. So that, that that's where they're at for that, for the consumer products. Yeah. Again, but more it's, it's, than it's getting just, developed. Again, but. where they're at, you think about what
5: Facebook has already done with the information you provided and how so much of their money comes from selling your data. Yes. Um, The only way for this to work, That they've they've is that the cameras are always watching everything every moment of your existence, including like your micro expressions, is which is why I keep
6: my Oculus in a tiny little box.
5: Yeah, um, and here's and and, and here's the thing: if they were to actually develop the technology, which I don't think is impossible, although it's not particularly close, um, it's not going to be cheap to store all that. So in order to make it worthwhile outside, well, it's going to be cloud based. But in order to make it like cloud isn't free. Um, no, in order you're going to have to pay, it, yeah. like, uh, you're have to pay well, a
6: subscription probably. I,
5: I, I think you'll pay some, but I think in order to make it affordable um, so that more people are on it – they're just going to sell, sell your data to advertisers. Your data in a way yeah. that has never been in a and, and the government will have access to it. Like yeah. there it is. It's actually like the the thing that he is actually proposing here is I want to build a machine god that knows your sins, like that yeah, knows when your heart rate is elevated, that knows what it looks house. like before yeah. you smile, that can predict like when you're about to make a gesture or laugh because it 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 has so accurately mapped your body and motions. Um, it's actually a nightmare. Like when yeah. you really think
7: about what he is yeah. trying to build here, and it's like, well, what, what's what what's the actual use case for this? And it's like, well, okay, so you have a, you have a bunch of special forces guys. You put them in a VR thing, and then mm-hmm. you know you can you can you you can have them drill on knowing exactly where all the rooms in the houses, where mm-hmm. everyone is in, where everyone is in a house at any given time. And it's like, oh hey, this this is going to be great. This is yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's it's really
5: cool. Um, they have a. So there is a little bit here briefly about where, like, Mark talks about uh, how the last year or so has been um, fucking, uh, the, the term he uses is humbling for them. Um, oh, God. Yeah, and you you kind of think that, like, he's about to say that, like, oh, because we we made life dramatically worse and our service was integral in several ethnic cleansings and a couple of civil wars and like hate crimes on a scale that was unimaginable before it, it really came into being or that we thought had been at least we thought had been consigned to a century or so ago before Facebook came into being but no that's not why it's humbling why he says it's been humbling is that Facebook has been developing services for other platforms like the app store where they don't have total control and that sucks and that's like the thing that that's the that's him admitting a little bit that like a big part of this is they're trying to build a service the entire internet gets filtered through that they completely control so that yeah. they are never in anyone else's wheelhouse like everything is done through facebook and with facebook's approval as opposed the, to them they having want to, to get apple to say authority. yes to something yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
7: facebook facebook is going to become the state
5: yeah and that's the that's thing that's trying to do it says so much about mark that he's like what's humbling isn't all of the mistakes i've made it's that periodically i have not had total control um it's great um he then from immediately from this says that if we all work at it uh, all of us, the metaverse can reach a billion people by the next decade, um, which is very funny. Yeah, um, yeah. That he thinks that that's like an enticing fucking thing. So, one of the use cases they try to present is they have a beauty influencer who like made like a a fucking candle line or something uh, that she sold on Instagram, and she's she's very successful on Instagram. They bring this lady in, and number one, as soon as they started interviewing her. It's it, it's what I was saying about, yeah, have a hire a celebrity to do this, Mark. You're not charismatic. She's immediately the most engaging person in the entire presentation because she's a successful – like, she's someone who understands how she appears on camera, um, how to make herself seem likable on camera, how to, like, interact with the world on a camera, and nobody else in this video understands that, um, which is just <laughs> funny. It's not particularly, like, say anything other than that, like, yeah, have professionals do – difficult things mark don't don't hire your weird gawky engineering staff to like be the faces of this thing they're not good at this and neither are you i I
6: just want to point out so he says that like he he can get one billion people the next decade so far there's only been 16 million vr headsets sold ever yeah so getting that to the point of a billion seems like uh quite Quite the challenge.
5: <laughs> I mean, it, it is a challenge, you, but I, you could look at like how quickly smartphones went from Yeah,
6: like... except smartphones were useful in improving the yes. world in very obvious ways. Yes. Yes. Whereas the metaverse, and even VR in general, doesn't improve the world for most people in obvious ways. Y-
5: yeah, but that but that's kind of what I'm saying, is that like the thing that is stupid and doomed about this isn't like, oh, you would have to sell so many headsets. If it was legitimately something every single person wanted on their head, it, they would sell a billion. They would yeah. sell a billion in a couple of years, you know? Um, But they haven't made that look like like so this this beauty influencer thing is an example of them trying to like explain here's something that people will find cool about the metaverse Um, and the way they do it is like talking about how you can have a digital storefront where like people can't just buy products but they can interact with you. Um, she talks about how it'll be good for letting her interact with her fans, but like bringing them into my home.
6: Oh um, God. Which sounds like a
5: fucking that nightmare. That sounds like a Sorry. nightmare. Yeah, we Christ. love our fans, but like, no, no I do not want anyone shit. from I don't want inside anybody my, in my goddamn my No. no. home. <laughs> um, I barely want my friends in my home half the time. Like <laughs> absolutely not. Um, they didn't present us with a use case of how a brand – in this case, this like candle company this lady made that's big on Instagram – could release like a new candle flavor and launch a digital experience with it so you can buy both real and digital products. <sighs> it's kind of unclear in the video whether or not you're paying for the digital experience or is it like free when
6: you buy the candle. Um, yeah, this is what like, so Epic Games is like developing yeah. is like you know dropping products at the same time in the real world in the digital world, but like the, the digital version is free because it's like because it's like an ad, right? You get to yeah. try something out virtually before you buy it physically, and that's what like Epic Games is doing. And honestly, I think Epic's version of the Metaverse is slightly more hinged. They understand um, more what people actually want. Yeah, because like all the stuff they're trying with Fortnite again, it doesn't seem fun for me. But at least it's like an extension of how people use the internet already. Whereas yeah. Facebooks is not that.
5: Yeah, and and Mark never really understood what people wanted. He he accidentally yeah. did Facebook when trying was, to make something yeah. else. Like he wanted exactly. a place to share pictures of ladies he thought was hot. Um, and he accidentally built a thing that, like, gave people something they did want, which was a way to stay in contact with their friends from high school and college as they grew older, right? Like, yeah. that was the thing about Facebook that made it get huge originally. Um, and he hasn't learned anything since. He's just been smart. He's he's hired people who are smart enough to be like, hey, Instagram's probably going to be a big deal. Buy that You should now. buy it, yeah. You know, um, like that. That. But I, I haven't seen anything that's made me think, like, Mark gets what people want and this has just made it clear that like he absolutely doesn't so i want to play this video of like this is the digital experience to go with this fucking candle that they're they're framing as like a piece of art that everybody's going to want to interact with who likes candles i'm
6: so thrilled Um, to watch it's
5: it's incredible because it again feels like a nightmare i am i am a
6: big candle fan so
5: same
8: here
9: butterfly effect transports us to something magical
6: It's like a shitty arboretum. I I don't see what this has, what this has to do with candles.
10: So Jackie, as we walk through this amazing world, what does the
3: metaverse mean to you? I just feel like this is like endless possibilities with my imagination. I can't even begin to imagine.
6: So I, I don't understand. What does that have to do with candles?
5: I yeah, like they have, again, like there's if nothing. I can walk they're, around they're like. Why can't I Im- begin to imagine all the things people are going to do? I can well, walk
6: around digital spaces and my quest. Yeah. It's again, it's fun for like 30 seconds and yeah. then you see everything and you're like, oh, well, I can't touch it or smell it yeah. or actually feel it or do anything. So I'm going to go back and have a soda and I don't know, yeah. play and, and like read a book <laughs> or something. Like,
5: And they, they, they've brought in this influencer who like used one of their other services in a way they hadn't initially intended and was successful in that, which is not a bad idea on its surface. Like, yeah, bring in, Creative people and let them play around and make something new to show people how exciting this is. Right? That's the smart thing to do. But all they've presented is like, look, it's a tiny little weird arboretum you can walk around in after buying a candle. And it's like, well, I like candles, but that that's not a, fun. That, that doesn't sound like a fun addiction. Yeah. It's, it's a candle like, buying process. The whole part
6: of the metaverse is like making like interactivity more, like being be yeah. able to interact with with digital things. And like that's not interacting. That's just walking around. Like unless I can like. Take of like a bazooka and blow up the arbor like ar- arboretum. Or fuck the candle, you know. Or, or fuck, let me the, fuck, candle. fuck like, the candle. Like, like, that's that's like, like you have to do something. Like all of the VR games that are fun, like 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 a uh, super hot or so, like something. It's about you know picking up objects in VR and throwing them at people. That's fun. Yeah. And you like so unless I can pick up this candle and assault people with it in the game, I don't see what really the drive like yeah. what's what's exciting about this. You were saying something, Chris? Oh,
7: well, I guess. You know the, the the thing I keep coming back to with this is that the only way this and this literally any of this makes any sense if it's just like a chip in your brain, and yeah. because like, yes. like, all of it, all of it is built around that, but it's but it's not like it can't be like we don't, the technology for that won't exist for like ages, and so they're.
6: It's like it's like it's like they're they're selling some of it. Definitely is headset based, like that arboretum thing. But yeah, for a that, lot of, yeah, a lot but of it. it, but
7: even yeah, but like I mean, I think even that right. Like, okay, so why would you want like yeah? you're, you're saying, like why would you? It, it's like okay, it's, it's interesting for like. Ten minutes, right? Yeah. The, the yeah, only most. way that would be like the only way that would be an actually interesting experience is if you could get all the full sensory experience. If you, you could smell you and feel, yeah, yeah right. And that, that's 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 like that's that's the thing where like yeah. thing only yeah. makes sense if it's like a brain chip. It, well, I mean, there's there's two versions. There's one, it's a brain chip, or two, it's a video game. Yeah. And Epic Games is doing the thing where it's a video game, and yeah, that and makes that slightly more smarter sense. to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But like they don't, you know, but the, they're they're trying to sell like, and I, I think part of what's going on here is also just like it, this is this is designed to like. Like, this is designed to, like, trick Silicon Valley investors.
6: Yes, yes. that is that yes, like, what's going on.
7: Yeah, and, and those people, I think, are just going to be like, oh, we'll, we'll have brain chips eventually. And so we'll,
6: we'll just dump we'll talk another. About, we'll probably talk about that yeah. part more at the end because, yeah, this is just a scam. This they is just a investors. scam.
5: And it is, like, again, to talk about, like, the dystopian aspects of this, Chris, as you brought up, one of the aspects is that, like, it's a, a complete panopticon of perfect surveillance. If they actually make this thing, and number two is the only way to do most of what they're talking about—that's cool—is to give Mark Zuckerberg physical control over human beings' brain chemistry on a global scale, which I think is a bad idea. I'm not going
6: to sign up for that. <laughs> I'm not going to sign up well. for that. No. I don't. I don't want to walk around in a weird candle room that badly. Look, like, um, to, like, to your point, Chris, about like how it's you know there's no sensory stuff is like yeah, like the most popular VR games. The reason why they work so well, the reason why they don't like break the uncanny valley is cause you're in like a barren land. Like like you know, like Beat yeah. Saber, you're not in a place. You know, you're yeah. in this in the game interface. For like for Super Hot, you're in like whitewashed, abstract, like concrete yeah. spaces, yeah. right? So like there's nothing there's is nothing to smell or feel. So like you don't feel like you're missing anything because you're in a very like stripped down version of reality. There is a, a really good uh, VR game. I forget what it's called, but it's it's based on like an office, and you're like fighting robots to break out of like this capitalist office room, and it's cool because like yeah, it's miserable because it's like it's like an office space. You feel like you're in an office because it, nothing about it's exciting, right? VR yeah. games that are in like lush worlds th- they feel so much more like disconnected yeah. because you have like a weird like you have you yeah. have like you have like an uncanny valley thing, but ex- yeah. instead of like a face or a person, it's like an environment.
5: We're running low on time. I want to move to something that I think is important here, which is there is one moment in this video where they try to address the fact that they've done a tremendous amount of damage to the world and have repeatedly failed to, like... Uh, anticipate dangers that their services have. So they need to like deal with that at some point. And this is like, well, what about if like, what about bad things that could happen? What if like, what about like unintended things? What about like ways in which this could be harmful to society that you haven't foreseen? So because they're not completely stupid in order to address that, they bring on a, a well-dressed uh, or not well-dressed, but they bring on like a friendly British man um, who kind of, kind of reads as like a, like a scientific Kind of expert guy. They bring on a, a, a charming British person to like talk okay. about how they're going to not not destroy the world, and this is very telling.
9: So far, it's it's such visionary stuff. But as you mentioned early on, with all big technological advances, there are inevitably going to be in all sorts of challenges and uncertainties. And I know you've talked about this a bit already. But people want to know how we're going to do all this in a responsible way, and especially that we play our part in helping to keep people safe and protect their privacy online. Yeah, that's right. This is incredibly important. The way I look at it is that in the past, the speed that new technologies emerged sometimes left policymakers and regulators playing catch up. So on the one hand... Companies get accused of charging ahead too quickly. And on the other, tech people feel that progress can't afford to wait for the slower pace of, of regulation. And I really think that it doesn't have to be the case this time around, because we have years until the metaverse we envision is fully realized. So this is the start of the journey, not the end.
5: So that's telling uh, that he's like, we don't need to worry about like, we don't need to, like, uh, uh, it'll be fine. We'll, it'll get regulated properly. It. Yeah. It'll be safe enough because it's going to take so long to figure all this out that surely we will anticipate and deal with all of the potentially toxic side effects of this technology ahead of time. Um, and if you believe that, I would say take a look at Facebook's track record with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> but they are smart in having a charming British man do it. That's the right guy to have in, in in the only aspect of good casting in this. That is the right guy to have come on and try to allay people's fears yeah. um, that this will destroy society. You bring a you bring a charming British man in. You know, that's how you do that kind of thing. Um, That's when I get canceled for the things I've been doing overseas. Um, I'm going to hire a British person to defend myself. Do
6: do they make any more comments about like AR glasses or VR? Yes, uh, quite a
5: few. I wanted to move on to that, um, even though, yeah, we're we're, so um, they talk about they have a whole section where they're they're talking about the actual glasses they have. So they, they announced, number one they have a a project the goal as he repeatedly says is to make a quote normal good looking pair of glasses um, yeah, that obviously. do all this stuff which the, the, obviously that is, yes that is the
6: end goal yeah
5: um, and he he does in order as like a proof of concept he shows us these ar ray-bans that actually look legitimately rad they look like normal at least the the i haven't touched a pair of these in my hands but the 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 videos that are supposed to be these real products show a pair of what look like normal Ray Bans that you can take pictures and videos with. You can answer phone calls on. You can do like video cool, phone rap, calls on yeah, them and stuff. Actually like they, they seem neat and like they look like normal glasses. Yeah. Um. And that is pretty cool. Um. They go kind of pivot from that to announcing that like they have this new thing, Project Nazar. Um. Which oh, I looked up what Nazar means a little bit ago. It's probably um, dystopian. Uh. <laughs> no, I think it was just yeah. Uh, it, it's a town. Oh, it's a surf spot, right? It's a place in, I think Portugal where there's like great waves and okay. Mark Zuckerberg's really into surfing. He plays a surfing game at one point in this. That is one of the most embarrassing um, thing, embarrassing things embarrassing thing yeah. as I've seen in my entire fucking life. Um, but yeah, so project Nazar is, the, is supposed to be like the first true, like VR glasses. So they, they do the, the good thing, which is like, here's the real technology, these Ray Bans, And look, these are pretty neat. Obviously that doesn't come close to what they're promising um and this whole thing where they talk about what the uh, the glasses which they say they're making good progress on are going to do we don't ever see any fucking glasses
7: yeah I mean, um, down yep
5: yeah and and that's because they're not really close uh, to 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 working yet
6: uh, i, I yet. definitely think really that the ar glasses are going to be the way to act like if the goal is to integrate Digital spaces into the physical space. So I think I, I think it's a good goal because what what that's yeah. going to do that's going to make the digital space less fake, right? It, it, it's yep. injecting that into the actual real world. So I think that will actually really help with like this associative stuff. Is because it's actually in it's actually in the real world as well. I think that's going to be wonderful yeah. when that gets developed. And I think the glasses are. Are definitely going to be a thing within the next ten to twenty years. There yeah, is ways of like like a the, figure illuminating glass on the side to make like yeah. you know, like a, what it looks like an image. This is definitely going to be a thing that's going to be possible. Yeah, my big figure on this are though. like out. yeah surveillance and privacy is like the big yeah. my big fears for that because we're nowhere close to hacking the brain enough to feel sensations and like the only thing like I've played a lot of VR. The only thing that you can feel in VR is fear. That's yeah. the only thing that VR is capable of replicating. That's good. as As a feeling, it's like you can feel terrified in VR. That's that's yeah. th- that's it. You can't ever well, okay, feel there's like. There's one other thing. You can feel exhausted. Yeah, as can, the entire... I, play, tired. I, play, I, play, I played a bow and, 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 and arrow game,
7: and I was doing like bow draws for like four yes. hours, and I was like, oh, we've have developed a way to make you <laughs> frightened and tired.
6: That <laughs> is what VR is best at, which like, is all. Of... By the way,
5: what Twitter does normally.
6: It's all true. Our... <laughs> All of like all of like the Resident Evil VR games, yeah, yeah they're gonna making you tired and terrified. and that's um, kind of it so we we
5: have to close out, but I want to do that by playing Mark Zuckerberg lamenting the internet that he played a major role in in building as a way to talk about why we need a metaverse because it's kind of funny
8: we're allowed to build and use are more tightly controlled than ever. And high taxes on creative new ideas are stifling. This is not the way that we are meant to use technology. The metaverse gives us an opportunity to change that, to build it well. But it's going to take all of us, creators, developers, companies of all sizes. Together, we can finally put people at the center of our technology and deliver an experience where we are present with each other.
5: Yeah. Um, what, what a ghoul. What yeah, a what ghoul. what a monster. Like, all of that's nonsense. Number one, you're not. You're one of the people who has turned the internet into an expensive walled garden. It didn't used to be this way. Then Facebook swooped in, made themselves for free, um, like, integral to all content, and then started charging those content creators and, like, fucking them around and lying to them, which led to the destruction of a huge number of websites and a tremendous amount of digital culture. Like, you're why it feels like a dead walled garden, and everything you've presented in this video makes the metaverse feel like a dead walled garden, but I want to play his last lines in the, uh, in this video. Um, Cause this is him kind of summing up his vision for the future via the metaverse.
8: And now it is time to take everything that we have learned and help build the next chapter. I am dedicating our energy to this more than any other company in the world. And if this is the future that you want to see, then I hope that you will join us because the future is going to be beyond anything we can imagine.
5: I agree with that part, Mark. The future is going to be beyond what you can imagine. What a ghoul. Cool. Yeah. Because you have it's no just, imagination. It's yeah.
6: just it's just using trendy tech terms to trick investors into giving them billions of dollars. Yeah. That's like, right, that's, that's all it is because all, all of this, like, this, like, haptic feedback replicating like human feelings and stuff th- we're nowhere close to that and when we do it's going to be dystopian but we're, we're not close to it and it's going th- to be dystopian or it's going to
5: be better in ways that like we can't y- yet conceive of um and then eventually it will be destroyed for profit if it actually gets cool like the old internet was
6: yeah it's yeah, no, yeah. it's it yeah but i think but both this and even a lot like a, a lot of like the epic stuff just seems a a, a, a It's just the new way Mm. that tech companies, that's where they think the money vault is, is by using these terms. And they think using these terms is going to get them lots of extra investor money. Um, Because the actual technology is nowhere really close to this, and it's not what people want out of the internet anyway. It absolutely is not. But I don't know. I think this was important. I think
5: Facebook is important and has a major impact on the way the internet is continuing to evolve, um, usually in negative ways, but this is how these people who are doing a lot of damage view the future. So you should know what they're looking at and what yeah. they anticipate.
7: But I, I think I think there, there's a kind of optimistic note to this, though, right? Which is like, okay, so we, we've we've reached the point where, like, even like Boris Johnson is going like, oh God, climate change is coming, yeah, right, yeah, and this is the best they've got, yeah, right this like, is their vision have, of the they, future have no, after they have no they have nothing they have nothing and you know i think like one the, of the, the only ways we can win is if we're facing a uniquely incompetent ruling class
11: yeah
7: and if it if the rule if the if the guy were if the guy we have to deal with in order to like not drown every single whale and like have half of the world's cities consumed by the ocean is mark zuckerberg like we, got, yeah. a
6: <laughs> we yeah. got a shot. We got a shot. I think I, there I, are some I, smarter people that aren't. Yeah, that operate this is not, behind the scenes, right? Like, sure. Yeah, Peter I, Teal. yeah.
5: Um, but I, I don't think. I think that's a nice note to end on because it is, it is worth. The nice thing about this is how clearly they don't understand what the future is going to look like online. Yeah. Um. They have ways in which they're trying to direct the future, and aspects of that will come true, like their VR. Will succeed in some form at some point, and it will be potentially an unprecedented surveillance breakthrough. that has some unsettling implications. Yeah, and as well as some positive ones.
6: Metaverse stuff's getting developed by a lot of other stuff. I think the the move by Twitter to create like this, like a it's called like like Twitter Spaces, where it's like this, like you know, basically like voice chat room. Like a lot of people are moving towards this concept where we try to like inject more like in-person in- interactivity into this virtual framework, right? We yeah. saw this with like, uh, with like a clubhouse last year during during the pandemic where people yeah. like watching like Netflix in the quote same room, right? Yeah. Like we're seeing people try to do this with varying mixed mix success, but this is the way tech is, is, is inching. So it is a good idea to keep your eye on it because yeah, yeah. it has <laughs> a lot of implications for like so. privacy and advertising and all that kind of stuff.
5: We'll continue to cover aspects of this, talk about the technology, talk about the surveillance implications, talk about the visions these people have. But I think to, this has been these episodes have been useful. And like, here's what Mark thinks is coming. Here's what Facebook yeah. is pouring like $10 billion into. It's dumb as shit. Have a nice day.
3: could
2: just be in me. Amy Winehouse, back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson,
4: rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect.
5: Sumo <clears throat> Play. Podcast. All right.
7: Well, I've done my job for the day. Wow. You've, you've, even by our standards, that's, a, yeah. that's an intro. That's actually one of your better ones. Like one. <laughs> Thank,
6: <laughs>
11: you.
5: <laughs> Thank you. This is, of course, It Could Happen Here, a show about how things um, aren't going so great. Kind of falling apart, crumbling a bit, but also maybe things could be better. That would be nice. Let's try and do that. Today is one of the maybe things could be better episodes, and we are talking about the ongoing wave of strikes. Uh, we had Striketober last month with the uh, John Deere strikes and 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 strikes uh, and uh, like uh, what you might call it, a couple of different food companies, a bunch of strikes. Um, and today we would like to get an update on. All the motherfuckers who are out there striking for better conditions um, and and better treatment. Um, and today, for that purpose, we've brought on the great Kim Kelly. Kim, you are a journalist uh, who focuses a hell of a lot on labor. You've been up and down uh, to the, some of the coal strikes that have been going on. You were there for the Amazon um, attempt to form the union in, um, oh, geez, was that uh, Arizona?
11: Alabama. Um,
5: Alabama, Alabama. Um, And you're writing a book on the history of labor um, in the United States. So I'd I'd like to just kind of turn the floor over to you. There's a floor.
10: There is a, okay. There's a floor. There's no ceiling. There's a floor. It
5: is filthy, just as a heads up.
10: You know, we're doing our best, aren't we? Yeah.
5: No, we are. We are. Yeah. You are. We are not.
10: (laughs) I am. I'm trying to keep up with all this Mm -hmm. labor action, this exciting action, Mm -hmm. hot labor action.
5: Yeah, tell us some hot labor action stories.
10: (laughs) Uh, So as you mentioned, we're just kind of coasting off of the peak of Striketober, which was such a fun thing to kind of see explode in the mainstream consciousness. Like usually labor stories, they're a big deal to the people that are involved in them and people in the labor world who are watching and like rooting for them. But they don't necessarily end up on like, you know, the mainstream, like they don't end up on the TV. They don't end up with like fancy old guys talking about it on Dateline or whatever. Right. But that's something that happened, and I think there's been a real shift in consciousness that has accompanied that. And of course, you know, it's like striketober is fun. There's all these these big strikes happening at the same time. But we, of course, need to remember that that didn't happen in a vacuum. There's people on strike now who have been on strike since before well, since before it was cool, right? right. <laughs> since much earlier. Like, shout out to the Saint Vincent nurses up in Massachusetts. And to the coal miners in Brookwood, Alabama, Warrior met, who have both been on strike for over eight months, and they Jiminy, kind of Christmas. right. So literally, like they're like they're in the middle of their tour drives for their children because they've been on strike for so long, and they kind of got a little bit left out of the conversation around Striketober, and I think that just kind of shows that we need to be paying attention even when it's not as flashy or new or exciting. I mean, strikes are always exciting, but you know, they, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is interesting and important, especially as we head into uh, Strike's Giving, which I guess we're doing.
5: Yeah, Strike's Giving, Strike Smith, Strike I guess we could Strike, stri- St- for a day, the Fourth of Strike Yeah, it Stry- breaks stri- down
10: after while.
5: Yeah, yeah, it's it gets worse. It's, and
10: really until we get to labor day and by then yeah God. yeah striker's
5: <laughs> day that one works pretty well i'm I'm also yeah. a fan of strike and tines day um strike
10: and tines day that's cute yeah love yeah, and rage we could, baby we
5: can keep this going yeah <laughs> well, strike a ween
10: strike what? strike a ween there's a missed opportunity there Although that,
5: that frightens me, Garrison, that the band Ween might go on strike, and I don't oh, know that no. society could what handle will it. Oh, What we do? Uh, we wouldn't have our, our – we would, we would be completely out of Ween. Our reserves of Ween aren't going to last long if they stop. Yeah, that's what a unacceptable. Reference. Yeah, there's been a, a, tr- a tragic shortage of Ween for years now. I don't know that we could handle a strike. Please has, continue, Kim.
10: Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize you were a nerd, Robert. This, is, this kind of throws some things into question. <laughs>
11: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh.
10: Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a heavy metal dirtbag, I'm like contractually obligated to make say things like that. But um mm-hmm. as I was pontificating uh a minute ago, oh right. So as we go into mm-hmm. Strikes Giving, there are still more big strikes on the horizon and potential big strikes on the horizon. But part of the story that I think is also very energizing and important is the organizing that's happening in the new unions that are hopefully gonna end up being formed. Not necessarily as a result of this wave of attention, but they're kind of caught up in the tide. I mean, mm-hmm. when we look at the Starbucks workers in Buffalo who have scared the shit out of their employers to the point where they're flying executives in to follow them around the store and be like, please don't vote for a union. We need all of our billions of dollars. We can't share. Or, you know, even workers at Wirecutter who are threatening to strike on Black Friday and their whole thing is telling people what stuff to buy. Yeah, you know, in McDonald's workers, and I think 10 different, either 10 different cities or 10 different states, 10 different locations just went out on like a one day strike over sexual harassment in the workplace. Kroger workers are taking a strike authorization vote in Texas. We have multiple Amazon organizing attempts happening in Staten Island and a rerun of the election coming up in Bessemer, Alabama. And there's just so much happening that... You know, I, I hope that the novelty idea of the strikes towards strikes giving. I hope like that was fun, but I hope now that people are paying attention that they stay interested and realize that, you know, labor stories, maybe it's not necessarily always like a big strike or like a cool picket line to look at. But there's a lot going on. Like every story is a work story, every story is a labor story, and people seem like they're finally catching on to the fact that, yo, we're all workers and wow, cool things happen when we come together.
5: Yeah, I I hope that too, and I hope that um you know the 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 word on everybody's lips who's I don't know coming at this from kind of a little bit of a more uh, either radical or desperate point of view, depending on how you want to frame it, is like general strike, general strike, and you know there's there's been some there's been <laughs> people online who keep saying like okay, well we're all just gonna go. On, on Black Friday, everybody general strike, and it's like, yeah, well, you don't you don't set that up on Twitter. Like the the, the unions that are striking now have strike funds and and put a lot of thought into it, and have right. like had to take. There's things you have to do in order to not irresponsibly like just screw over a bunch of working people. Um, but yeah. it is like I, I'm a believer in the potential of something like a general strike to to force significant uh, concessions. Um, I mean, if and we I, did it right. Yeah, it's a big, I guess I, it's a big I if I, it I mean it's a huge if cuz it's never really effectively been like there's been pieces of it done like we saw I think the closest we've gotten in like my lifetime has been when the uh the airline workers threatened to go on strike over the uh over the budget thing and you just saw the federal government go, "Oh fuck. Nope. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> we can actually pass this thing."
10: <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like that threat, that, I think that when Sarah Nelson Said that, even like hinted towards that in 2019 during the government shutdown. That sort of, that was a tipping point. I think that's the first time people had, well, really was probably the first time in many people's lifetimes that an actual labor leader with that platform had even mentioned those words because general, general strikes historically kind of are more situated in that late 19th century, early 20th century, like labor swinging its dick around era. And we've been kneecapped so much that yeah. that doesn't feel as, as possible. But, I mean, the fact that she said it and she was part of the airline industry, if we're ever going to actually, you know, bring capital to its knees, we're going to need the transportation workers. We're going to need the dock workers. We're going to need to, like, actually analyze who is moving things around the country, who's making sure things work, and how can we get them to put down, to down their tools and be like, okay, we're yeah. going to do something about this. You know, the whole general strike idea I mean, I mean, and arguably like one of the first ones was, uh, you know, in black reconstruction, The uh, uh, the book, there's a, uh, this argument that the first general strike was enslaved, enslaved people leaving the plantations and, and withdrawing their labor from that situation. Like that was a form of striking. And I think the general strike is kind of a amorphous idea, especially online yeah. as more people learn about labor and learn about it. But it's also like kind of a specific thing. Like, yeah. You can't just declare, like, okay, we're all not going to go to work tomorrow. Like, cool, but there's so much planning that goes into it to make sure that people are able to do that and sustain that. And the people that are traditionally, you know, already left out or the most vulnerable and marginalized, like, that, their needs are prioritized because the people that can afford to declare general strike and not show up for a yeah. week, like, that's all well and good for them. But what about everyone else who can barely afford to go to work at all?
5: Yeah, I I've had these arguments with people online and it's often like well you're saying we shouldn't do like if we just do it people will figure it out like the infrastructure will be built after the fact. And I'm like that's I'm I'm glad that you're in a situation where you feel like you could you could handle that kind of uncertainty but like a single mother of four who relies on her her job to like keep them fed and alive isn't going to be like someone will figure out how to feed my kids like, well, with, <laughs> like that's not right. how people work you know
10: yeah this is where having like a robust commitment to mutual aid and yes. strike funds and like an actual com- fabric like the having the fabric of community where you can depend on your neighbors instead of never talking to them like a general strike would have a huge impact but. On who? Like, who would it hurt more if you didn't plan yeah. it properly? If you didn't have a, if you didn't have an actual grassroots network of people ready to help? If you didn't yeah. have the understanding that not everyone can just go run off in the streets. Some people like have mobility issues. Some people have children. Some people are older or sicker. Like, there's. So much that goes into it.
5: Yeah. It's like your car is fucked up and you know you need to take it in to get some stuff fixed or it's eventually going to break down entirely. But that doesn't mean the right solution is just get in there and, and start hitting shit with a hammer. Like, you need to, <laughs> there needs to be, like, some systemic way you approach it, right? Like, there's a proper way to fix an engine. Um,
10: right. And we can do that. Like, we yeah. can start building those networks. We can start – you can organize your workplace and plug into the – into like the organized labor framework, which obviously has many flaws, not as radical as I would and many other people would like it to be, but they know how to do this shit. Like
11: mm-hmm.
10: there's a lot of different pieces that can be pulled together in different organizations and populations that need to work together if we're actually going to accomplish something like this. Yep. And I don't know if people are ready to put in all that work because it's more fun to tweet.
5: Yeah, but I, mean, I, I am wondering.
10: <laughs> yeah, as they say in Alabama, bless their hearts.
5: You're you're spending a tremendous. I mean, as you just noted, you're spending a tremendous amount of time on the ground with a lot of these people, talking with them. Are you are you seeing kind of how how are you hearing them talk about the other strike efforts? You know, in other industries that are going on right now, because it has been more in the news than it's been at any point I can recall in the recent past. And I'm wondering how. In places like Bessemer, you know, in places like, um, you know, that coal miners strike you've been at, like, how are they being, are, to what extent are they talking about other strike efforts? Like, is that, does that seem to be something that there's a lot of kind of consciousness and discussion about? Or is it just kind of in the background?
10: (laughs) I mean, it really depends. I like you said. I spent I spent most of my time with the coal miners over the past year because so I've been writing a book, and I spend my yeah. one uh, my one fun thing. But I've been I mean, I talk to them every single day, and I've been to Alabama lots of times, and I you know I, I'm in a group chat with the wives. Like I I, I know I have a decent grasp on what's going on. And honestly, the thing about it is that some there there are some folks who are very engaged and who have made Twitters and they have their Facebook groups and they do pay attention to what's happening. And They do think mm-hmm. they feel that kind of excitement and that widespread sense of solidarity but one thing that's important to remember especially for workers who are already disadvantaged or they're dealing with low-wage labor is like it's really hard to go on strike like there's a lot of shit they have to figure out like there's kids there's health issues there's how am i going to pay my rent like yeah like funds are great but they don't cover everything like i think that's one of the realities that maybe gets sort of glossed over because we're all so online and we like to you and me it feels like oh everyone's fucking stoked about these strikes but for someone in rural Alabama who is just hoping the strike is over soon so they can go back to work and have some financial stability they're not necessarily reading your tweets or like signing up for webinars or even paying attention to like cool other strike efforts i'm sure some some folks are aware and they find have that time to plug in but most people are just trying to get by and these are folks who spend like eight hours a day on the picket lines, and there's no cell phone service out where their picket lines are. Like, yeah. there's only so much that a normal, regular worker on the picket line can do to keep up.
5: Yeah. And um, you came into this, I think, unlike a lot of the people who are who are actually striking, you you came into this with a lo- a lifelong history of the like of interest in kind of. Uh, uh, labor justice movements and, and whatnot, which I don't think most people who are in unions necessarily spend a ton of time studying the last hundred years of labor relations. Um, what has surprised you? Like, what what have what what is like been a new realization that you've gotten since you started covering the stuff on the ground in this most recent period?
10: So the thing that really sticks with me, and I'm going back to my miners again because that's you know my where mm-hmm. where the most familiarity, but something that I think has so much potential. And I'm not entirely sure how to articulate what that potential is. But so something I have seen is when this strike began, most, not all, but the majority of the folks involved in this particular strike were conservative Christian people who were, a lot of them voted for Trump. A lot of them were like just in that world. Maybe not like, you know, wild MAGA people, but that's just what was the norm where they are in their community. And they do not really think about it that much. But there are some people that... I've seen, especially those who are involved in the mutual aid efforts or have been, who have seen Birmingham DSA come out, who have kind of ha- taken this kind of like wider view of what's happening, how they fit in. I've seen their politics and their perspective shift. Like, there are some people who are like straight up socialists now that mm-hmm. seven months ago would have probably spit in your face or at least given you a hell of a look if you had even suggested such a thing. And this is a small sample size and this is a unique situation. But I think it really speaks to the potential there to like reach people who are very ideologically, politically different from what we maybe think of as labor people, as progressive, radical, whatever, people on like our team, right?
6: Mm-hmm. But
10: the, the power of the strike and the power of labor is that there is so much, there. there's kind of an inherent common ground because so many people, most people, a lot of people, most people have a job. A lot of people hate their boss. You can kind of build from that very, very low baseline and find more common ground and kind of you can you can work towards a better understanding. Like maybe you're not going to be best friends, but you can potentially shift someone's harmful worldview by exposing them to new ideas. Once they trust that you're not just there to tell them they're wrong and stupid and bad, we're like, look, we I, we're, we're coming at this like I, I'm going to talk to you like a person. I understand we see the world differently, but, like, you know, I'm here to support you. I'm here listening to you. Maybe you could listen to what I have to say, too. Maybe it might change how you see things. And sometimes it works.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um, You know what else works, Kim?
10: Blowing shit up.
5: Well, okay, Alleg- <laughs> allegedly. Um,
10: In Minecraft. <laughs>
5: yeah, I was going to say Cap adds... Capitalisms, ads, and services. Um, but I like your answer better. So let's just let's just let's just roll out with that.
10: Material support, right? Like yeah. another concrete example. There, the Birmingham DSA has been very active in fundraising and showing up and just providing support for the miners mm-hmm. and and the people on strike. And this is not necessarily a population of people that like the idea of socialism, whatever idea of it is that they hold, because. Fox News and Rush Limbaugh are are big cultural standbys there, like whatever they think socialism is. And then have a bunch of socialists show up and just practice solidarity and mutual aid and practice socialism. And they're like, oh, these these guys are great. Thank you for coming out. It's Things like that, where it's like, I feel like so much of, of radical politics and various, you know, various tendencies, there's just like a branding problem. And there's a propaganda problem on the, yeah. the right wing and the mainstream media doesn't tell anybody what anything means. Like, yeah, and it's, pro- it's, that's it's a broader conversation, right? But it's
5: the, yeah, the, I felt for a while, like, one of the things that leftist organizers need to get better at doing is, is being willing to like, drop names when they're not productive. Like, okay, maybe these people, because of the media environment they've grown up in, are never going to want to consider themselves socialists. But if they are willing to organize together and support the efforts of other working people to organize together against uh, the capital holding class, like, then, okay, like, what is it? Why do you need them to, like, start quoting Karl Marx? Or is it just cool that you've, <laughs> you've got them doing what they, like, yeah, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense to me that, like, yeah, some, you can get a lot of these people on board with, again, pretty radical things if you're if you're kind of approaching it from within their world, from within, like, I'm not trying to talk to you about burning down the system. I'm trying to talk to you about how you get what you need. And it just so happens that how you get what you need um, is taking the system on in a very direct way. Um, I mean,
10: so many ideas that are painted as radical just, like, aren't. mm -hmm. Like, it's normal people caring for them. Like It is, like, community care and common sense. It's just been politicized to this insane... Like extent, yeah, and even is like oh, sorry.
6: I'm just saying, like even like a lot of a lot of the tenants of mutual aid, you can even see pop up in a lot of like church communities as well. At least like yeah. at least like smaller, you know, closer knit like communities that are actually like based around helping each other. At least I've 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 observed that in a lot of my time traveling across the states.
10: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part of it. Like the the church is the only mutual aid option in so many like smaller and more isolated rural communities, or just communities where the church is a big deal. Like there's always ways to chip away at these institutions and eventually hopefully burn them down, right, without alienating people and making them feel like you're coming in and telling them everything you believe is wrong. And, I'm, you know, making a mistake, some of these folks, I'm sure they believe things that are absolute garbage, and I would never... Yeah, everybody does, in that. but, yeah. You know, like, there's, you know... But there's, there's just... That covering this strike in particular has really just taught me a lot about the gray areas in between... Not in a like wishy-washy liberal way, but just in a way of like, how do you relate to normal fucking people who see the world differently, but are in yeah. ultimately the same struggle as you? Like, maybe I could, I, I mean, going down there, <laughs> the, the only time i had been around that many Trump supporters was like at protests where I was yelling at them or like mm-hmm. at my family dinners. So I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to make friends, but then I did and i think hopefully we've we've shifted each other's perspectives a little bit in a way that's beneficial i don't know it's been in, it's been interesting you know, yeah talking to people really is a lot different than tweeting at them
5: yeah as a rule don't tweet would be my recommendation <laughs> to people never um never Talk take your, that. yeah
10: Talk to your neighbors and be nice to people when you buy coffee or food from them, and you would be yeah. amazed what happens. And, yeah.
5: and t- tell your neighbors, hey, I'm taking my phone down to the river to throw it in. Can I take your <laughs> phone with me? Can we just all throw our phones in the river? Um,
10: yeah. Yeah, you can see how far that get you. If, you wanna, if you're going to start out being the weird neighbor, it's a strong mm-hmm. start. Look, we've already
5: might? killed the water system, so it's fine. Like, just <sighs> right in the river with the car batteries. You know <laughs> it's good for the eels
6: the thing I love about our show is just the hope is is the incredibly <laughs> uh hope injected optimism that we start and end every episode with mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but no but I mean like I me mean like yeah g- g- the more people you know in your community especially people who are like working class you know when bad stuff starts happening the more people you know the better because that's i am guessing a lot of the a lot of these people who are like you know like 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 um like old like old u- union workers they have a lot of like physical skills like like they, like they they know how to do a whole bunch of stuff and it might be worth getting to know some of those people even if you know depending where you live like yeah they'll, they'll probably say something not great uh at least for you know the first bit but once you know i i've I have a lot of family in like a rural area of alberta and like yeah my, my family is like pretty gay um so you know once you're in close to those people yeah they're they're gonna say something that's maybe not great but once they get to like know you and really be like oh like you're another person they like people actually you know people want to be around other people and they'll even change the way they talk to be like oh yeah maybe this isn't the best way to hang out around people because it's going to drive people away so yeah i'll 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 change the way i say some things because like it turns out people actually like a lot of a lot of folks just kind of want to make their lives a bit better and that's really their main focus yeah
10: Hmm. um it's hard enough to to do that (laughs)
11: and
5: it's 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 just this matter of like so much of what um so much of what kind of the the way that discourse happens online has poisoned aspects of activism is in like making it difficult for people to relate in that way without feeling like well okay but if i can't get them on board with all of these other things like i can't talk with them or whatever like because they're because they don't agree with yeah, this like, and this and this like we can't organize it. it's like no like
6: the purity of ideology
5: yeah Right. Like, I
10: feel like it, most people who aren't terminally online don't even necessarily have like a specific ideology. Absolutely some, not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's just stuff that they have learned or they've decided that is true about the world. And they just kind of go with it and they'll yeah. like interrogate it all the time. And you can, like, those are people you can talk to and maybe shift. Like I've, yeah. I've done it with my dad. Like I've seen it happen with some of these conservative coal miner folks. Like even yeah. something as small as being able to humanize, like, like, Okay, if you're talking about something, oh, like well, the thing you said, like that, really upset Joey, and you like Joey, so like maybe exactly. think about that, and they'll yeah. probably be chiller because like oh, well, that's yeah, it's Joey. I can't, I don't want to be a dick to him. If we can just find a way to enact that on a very broad scale, <laughs> like, life would be a lot better for a lot of people.
5: Yeah, it's this, it's this dichotomy between a lot people want to own the folks they see as like being against them or being on the other side, but also people don't. Want to be a dick to people that like they like? You don't want to feel like you're a dick. So if you if you lean more into the we're in opposition, then you're going to trigger the well, I want to I want to make the person who disagrees with me angry side of the brain. But if you can lean into the like, hey, like we can get along, like and I and and, and maybe you don't want to feel like an asshole if we get along, then. I don't know. That's a productive place to to continue conversations from, and a good way to
6: shift people. I think. And, and then when your and then when your area floods because of severe rain yeah. and storms, then we have people that can help.
10: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the importance of interacting mm-hmm. with people in person, like offline, which is like obviously more difficult to do because we're still trapped in a yeah, like there's, Yeah, like there's caveat, 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 but like. It's so much easier to talk to someone and kind of and like see their worldview shift, or even just humanize yourself to someone who is inclined to not thinking of you as someone worth talking to. Like, yeah, as long as it's not you're not putting yourself in danger. Like, there's
5: yeah, obviously, you know, we're, it's easy we're not for me to say about, stuff like
10: this. I'm a blonde lady, you know, but yeah, still,
5: we're not talking about like oh, you have to go be friendly to people who like want to murder you because you're trans. No, no, it's, it's I would about. Not, no, Telling we're not saying that. that. But most of these people don't What's think that maybe point? they have some regressive
6: attitudes. No, towards, or or, or they'll use the word gay to mean something, you know, not yeah. cool and you'd be like, "Hey, you know, I have to do it." They'd be like, "Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm actually gay." And blah, blah, blah. Or maybe you don't open that. Maybe you do depending on the situation to be like, yeah, "Hey, m- maybe maybe there's other words that we can use for this cuz yeah, whatever."
5: Yeah. And and you can shift people into a, a closer alliance, um, just by becoming a human in their eyes, and also letting them become a human in your eyes, um, which is necessary. The other option is not a pleasant one, so I would prefer the option where more people grow to see each other as human and worth supporting.
10: Right, that, that I know there's this like argu- a better
5: tactic to me. Yeah,
10: I know there's this <laughs> argument where like no one is oh, like I shouldn't have to educate you. I shouldn't have to put the mm-hmm. time into to shift you, and like. That is valid. That's fair. Like you shouldn't have to. But
6: ideally, no. You, yeah, <laughs> no. Right?
10: But yeah. But, I, it, but if you want to that change to happen, it's probably not going to happen unless you put some effort in because they're probably not going. They think they're fine.
5: Yeah, and uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of shit that you shouldn't have to do that we're also all gonna have to do. Like <laughs> I, we, I shouldn't. We I shouldn't have to say, hey guys, maybe we don't kill the ocean. Maybe killing the ocean is a bad idea. Like I shouldn't have to, no one should have to say that, but we do.
6: Could we like, not? Cause, cause can we're because we're otherwise can going we to just kill the ocean. Stop. Yeah. Can yeah. we just not, please? Like, the,
5: the fact just that you shouldn't have to do something also doesn't mean that like the thing doesn't need to be done. And obviously I don't think that the primary onus on speaking to, let's say, the kind of increasingly radicalized uh, white lower middle and middle class, I don't think that falls primarily on on people of color, on on the LGBT community. It falls on people like you and me, Kim, you know?
10: Literally, Um, yeah.
5: Yeah, but it still has to be done. Like, it's a thing that needs to be done. And I'm not saying, hey, you out there who, you know, left where you grew up in rural Alabama because someone was going to fucking murder you and you had to get to a place where you could not deal with that. I'm not saying you need to go rolling back to to Alabama. Um, But it's good that people are talking and, and working with and trying to build connections with folks out there and change the nature of kind of aspects of the culture and make things better because that needs to be done. We can't just be like, well, fuck some of those people.
6: Yeah. And again, that is definitely easier. If you are like one of the bros, if, if you are, you know, a, a, a bigger mm-hmm. cis adjacent dude, Yeah, that is, that is of course going to make things For easier. Sure. Yeah.
10: I, I really, mean, and the I, way the way you think about it, like that's kind of the tax. Yeah, it's not, not mm-hmm. the right word, but the fact that you do feel comfortable and you're you're safe and you're not mm-hmm. under a threat in those spaces because of who you are, like as like a white cis or even a white cis lady like you, the, the, the price you pay for that is making it easier for everyone else to feel that yeah. too. Like, exactly. that's the, like that's your job. Other you, people's you, job is to survive and be safe. You can be you know? the
6: one that pushes the boundaries on these things. So when someone says something not great, you can kind of call them out in like a bro-ish way and they can respond to that a lot better than, you know, than a, a lot of other people who they don't know, you know, e- mm-hmm. screaming at them in a no-context scenario.
10: Yeah. Be like, oh, like, oh, you don't, I'm like, a, I'm a pretty lady. You don't want to make me upset by being rude. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. rude. Exactly, yeah. Like, you, shouldn't, you should see this thing as rude and not okay. Like, the amount of men who have apologized to me down there for swearing, it's yep. so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, my dude, I live in Philadelphia, but that's cute. But mm-hmm. if I could just harness any of that, like, chivalrous whatever, Chivalrous patriarchal viewpoint of like, hey, apply this to being cool to my trans friends or like Mm -hmm. not being rude to anyone else. Like, sure, I'm down.
6: (laughs) Yeah. We don't take kindly to misgendering around these parts. Yeah. (laughs) For a lot of people, at least you know, when I worked at like smaller workplaces, you know, where it's like a small business where I know the owner, the even if me and if some other employees want to unionize, the prospect is always kind of more weird or challenging because you know it's a smaller business. Maybe it's like connected to like a larger, you know, larger overall industry. You know, like when I was like a when I when I was like a parkour instructor, right? I I, I had. Discussions with other with other like employees about doing you know like a, a parkour instructors union type thing, but but it's it's, it's hard when there's only no, there's like not many of you or like you know the owner. What would you say is like good good ways to at least get that get that conversation going among other employees, and then you know s- s- like similar similar examples from other stuff de- for people who deal with like smaller workplaces that aren't you know like a co-worker. They're not working for like Amazon or anything. You know it's, it's it's more like small local stuff.
10: Right. So like the the most important basic building block of of all this is one-on-one conversations. is organizing, right? And even if you just work with like three or four other people and maybe unionizing in a formal structure doesn't necessarily make sense or it seems like it might be too much of a headache. You're still, you know, like a group of workers coming together is still a union. It doesn't matter what the NLRB has to say about it. And you, you have shared interests and shared challenges and there's things at work you probably want to change. So even coming together and discussing that, with your coworkers. Like, there's no law that says you have to be in a union if you want to get some shit done. You can march on your boss, IWW style, and make them and demand a meeting. You can make a petition. You can do public pressure campaigns. Like, all of the things, well, not all of them, but a lot of the tools that we see organized labor engaging in and unions engaging in, those are, those are uh, um, available to everyone else, too. It's easier if you're within that framework because you have that firepower behind you and you have maybe some legal protections. But just as workers... You know, I guess that's more in like the IWW solidarity union a model, yeah. right? where like we don't like we don't need you no stinking badges. Like we're a union because we say we're a union. We're gonna take control of things in our own way. Now, like you see this in, um, I'm trying to, think. I think, uh, what's it called? Diversity Threads. There's a there's a thrift shop in I think Richmond, Virginia, where workers just uh, like they weren't being treated properly. I think it was like a like a queer community space that wasn't living up to its values due to actions by management. And so they just put a, a letter on the door said, we're not coming to work until you fix this. Here are our clear demands. Here's what we need. Here you go. Figure it out. Like I don't think they're in a formal union, but they're acting collectively. And that's something that is totally available to, to everyone as long as you're in a workplace. If you're an independent contractor like me and probably some of you, that sucks and it's harder, but... You can always find your people and you can always uh, there's always options, right? Like you don't have to just join a union. you don't have to be a teamster to get shit done
6: Yeah, I think you know when you were saying that, I was going through my past experiences at places like that, and I'm like, yeah, we, we kind of did do s- some of that stuff to varying degrees of success. Sometimes it works out well, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. Um, but yeah, I mean there was definitely a while where we did that did definitely make some make some decent changes kind of based on on that model.
10: Yeah, it's kind of a shift in perception where like you were just doing this because this is because you're a worker and like we, we need to do this. But if you just take a step back and think of it as like this is a labor action, we're a union of workers, like even just that little shift where it's like it's, you know, it's always us against them. But look, it's us as a little as a group, as a collective against this manager, against this exploitative practice, I think that adds a little bit of power and a little bit of energy because you, you realize, you know, I'm still I think maybe it makes you feel a little less alone. And also, yeah, like, yeah it, absolutely. And like, uh, you know, concerted activity is a legally protective right, too. So, like, there are some bits and pieces of labor law that are useful in these situations, too, if you have a nerdy friend who would like to read about them for you. <laughs>
5: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us here at It Could Happen Here. Um, until next time, remember,
6: uh, 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 fuck it, organize. And where can people find uh, Kim Kelly online if we want to mm-hmm. send angry tweets?
10: Oh well, just try me, buddy. Um, I'm yeah. at Gr- at Grim Kim because my college radio DJ name will never die. And uh, you can, if you are thus inclined, you can pre-order my book, "Fight Like Hell: The Untold History of American Labor," on the internet. Hopefully not Amazon.
7: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah.
10: Yeah. I mean, if you do, like, thank you, but there's other places that are better.
5: Do you uh, do you want people to send you a bunch of random knives, Kim?
10: Knives. I mean, I wouldn't. We've
5: had a lot of luck with that in the past.
10: <laughs> I like knives. I like skincare. I like loose mm-hmm. leaf tea. I contain multitudes, really. S-
5: send Kim a loose leaf tea skincare knife. One of those <laughs> one of those exfoliating knives with a with a tea infuser in the in the hilt. Wow! Somebody that make sounds that. Great. Somebody that make sounds that like, product. that well, sounds like guys. the next behind
6: the bastards merch. Yeah, the tea yeah. knife.
5: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll put that out after we get finished. We're we've got a very exciting Black Friday product this year, which is a uh, a male to male light socket adapter.
11: Um, people say you shouldn't
5: do it. They say it causes electrocution and fires and death. And I think those people are cucks. Um, buy our male to male adapter. Show the the woke establishment that you won't be you won't be chained.
3: Just
2: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
4: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect.
3: Zumo play.:
5: Hey everybody, Robert Evans here. This is it could happen here, the show about how things are falling apart and how maybe they could be made a bit better. Uh, right now, uh, today, we're doing an episode that is uh, based on a, a uh, I don't know, essay Garrison wrote and I edited uh, that we think you'll find interesting, so here it goes. Green capitalism promises to deliver us all the same luxuries and commodities that we enjoy today, but without doing net harm to the biosphere. It's the message liberal elites try to hold on when they make their case for being better stewards of the environment than Republicans. This is not untrue, but it's also not true enough to stop your house from flooding or your town from being incinerated in a hellstorm. When it comes to the methods green capitalism posits by which we might reverse course without changing the direction of the ship, one term you'll hear often is energy efficiency. I want to read a statement I found on whitehouse.gov, a fact sheet on the new U.S. government commitment to reduce carbon emissions by 50 to 52 percent by 2030. I should note that's 50 percent of the 2005 levels, which were like 15 percent high or something like that. Anyway, here's the quote. The United States can create good-paying jobs and cut emissions and energy costs for families by supporting efficiency upgrades and electrification in buildings through support for job-creating retrofit programs and sustainable affordable housing, wider use of heat pumps and induction stoves, adoption of modern energy codes for new buildings. The United States will also invest in new technologies to reduce emissions associated with construction, including for high-performance electrified buildings. Now, energy efficiency is in fact a fine goal, and trying to reduce emissions is broadly good. But the sad and kind of weird fact is that increasing efficiency can sometimes mean increasing pollution through what's known as the efficiency paradox, which is, of course, the title of the episode. Because what you want you want us to think of, of a second title, of a separate title from that? Come on. So first off, uh, what does energy efficiency mean? In general terms, energy efficiency refers to the amount of output that can be produced with a given input of energy, output being stuff that energy is used to do, like light your house or wash your clothing or power your wall-mounted 20-volt vibrator that requires as much electricity as an arc welder in order to use. Energy savings are the reduction of energy use without the loss of output produced. Improved energy efficiency is expected to bring a number of benefits. First of all, reducing energy usage should result in lower energy bills. Ideally, reduced energy demand also means that energy imports can be decreased. The International Energy Agency has estimated that strict efficiency policies could allow the world to achieve more than 40% of the greenhouse gas emissions cuts needed to reach its climate goals, even without new technology. So there is considerable wiggle room within the existing structures of global society to reduce emissions a lot without... Fancy space technology. But despite substantial energy efficiency gains in the past few decades and decreases in output from places like the United States, we as a species are using more energy than we have pretty much forever. And emissions wildly surpass our or the Earth's ability to handle them. Quoting from the Global Carbon Project, quote, Global energy growth is outpacing decarbonization. Despite positive progress in 20 countries whose economies have grown over the last decade and their emissions have declined, growth in energy use from fossil fuel sources is still outpacing the rise of low-carbon sources and activities. A robust global economy, insufficient emission reductions in developed countries, and a need for increased energy use in developing countries, where per capita emissions remain far below those of wealthier nations, will continue to put upward pressure on CO2 emissions. They use the term developing um, and developed. We don't prefer those. But obviously, population growth contributes to all that, the, the growth and the use of energy and the emissions of carbon. Um, you know, more people, more cars in the road, whatever. But it's not really the primary factor that's adding on to the increase in energy use for the human race. We'll talk about that later, though. For now, it's important to note that the full potential energy savings, like in these kind of hypotheticals about how much could be saved by improving efficiency, are usually estimated by assuming that demand for energy services will remain unchanged after energy efficiency gains. So when they say that we can get 40% of the greenhouse emissions gases uh, gas reductions we need by increasing efficiency, they're doing that assuming that nothing will change about our overall energy use when we make things more efficient. But Time and time again, we see that once products are made more energy efficient, people often end up consuming, producing, or even using more of the thing, which makes the potential savings less meaningful in a net result. doesn't mean that it's not a net good, but it's not as much as is often calculated in these climate proposals. You can see this demonstrated on the job if you're in, say, food services. Uh, If you happen to figure out how to do a task faster, your boss probably isn't going to let you use that extra time to just chill out and do stuff on your phone. Um, What is the phrase? If you can lean, you can clean. Um, So if you do something faster, now you're just expected to do it faster all the time and output more total work for your boss. This is the paradox of efficiency, and it applies to energy as well on a societal level. Increased energy efficiency is a double-edged sword, having the potential to help cut emissions by a significant factor um, and having the potential to increase our total energy use depending on what is made more efficient and how people react to it. The idea that energy efficiency improvements can actually lead to more overall energy use goes all the way back to the start of the Industrial Revolution. In 1865, economist William Stanley Jeevins published a book called The Coal Question in which he argued that innovation and efficiency, particularly in the case of the coal-powered steam engine, would actually increase the overall consumption of coal rather than reducing it as it had been intended to do. His prediction that efficiency improvements on steam engines would lead to massive economic expansion, accelerating coal consumption, was very much correct. This idea, then, dubbed the Jeevens paradox, is still very much worth considering when we discuss efficiency gains and policies that are meant to reduce energy consumption and thereby fight climate change. In modern terms, we describe the process by which potential energy savings can be cut by greater use of the energy-efficient product as the rebound effect. There are two different kinds of rebound effects observed, the most obvious of which is dubbed the direct rebound effect. Direct rebounds are observed when improvements in energy efficiency for a particular energy service reduces the effective price of that service and thus provides incentives to increase its demand. This leads to the overall increased efficiency not equaling to a reduction in energy use, as good as you might think. Direct rebounds are observed when improvements in energy efficiency for a particular energy service reduces the effective price of that enough that it provides incentives to increase its demand. You may upgrade to a more energy-efficient appliance, but because of the lower energy costs, you'll use the appliance more often and thus use more total energy. Or in some cases, energy efficiency gains are cut by the fact that more efficient products allow people. People to use more of that product. For example, someone may get a more efficient fridge that's also much larger, and so even though it cools more efficiently, it's also consuming overall more energy. Transportation has a lot of direct rebounds. Despite massive fuel efficiency gains in recent years, transportation is still responsible for 23% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Transportation's contribution to global warming is quickly increasing, with travel producing greater and greater percentages of the planet's carbon footprint. Private automobile tailpipes will drive this phenomenon for the foreseeable future, as the number of active vehicles on the road is projected to grow from 700 million in the year 2000 to 2 billion by 2040, so even though cars are a lot more efficient, vastly more cars are being used, and of course, that's not entirely – it doesn't mean that like more efficient cars cause people to buy more cars, but it does make it more affordable for more people to own cars and to drive them further, which drives up you know fuel use and drives up emissions and – you see how the whole problem works, uh, and it's not just cars. When planes became more fuel efficient, ticket prices decreased and more people started to travel by plane. As cost per mile dropped, more miles were flown. The fact that airplanes got more fuel efficient didn't reduce general pollution by the air travel industry. Quite to the contrary, in fact. The decreased emissions led to an increase in air travel, which shot a hell of a lot more poison out into the sky and also gave us eat, pray, love. So. The other kinds of rebounds are indirect rebound effects. This refers to when energy efficiency leads to monetary savings for a producer or consumer, who then can spend those extra savings on other carbon-emitting goods and services that otherwise they couldn't afford. For example, you buy a more fuel-efficient car, you save money on fuel, and you end up with extra funds in your bank account that you can use on a vacation, and maybe you take a flight on that vacation. So in the end, you emit more CO2, despite the fact that you're emitting less CO2 through your car. You've got 500 bucks extra in the bank, and you fly to Mexico on it, right? That's an indirect rebound effect. So even if a product is replaced by a more efficient one with similar specs, lower energy bills can mean that more consumers will have more money to spend on goods and services. This is generally seen as desirable from a social and economic standpoint, and probably from an individual standpoint, having more money is always useful. Um, But it involves additional energy consumption. It means that you're consuming more, you're emitting more, um, and so the savings and whatnot haven't actually led to a savings in terms of, you know, from an environmental perspective. An analysis of EU data shows that out of 29 EU countries, 11 experienced rebound effects of over 50%, which means more than half of the gains uh, in energy efficiency were consumed by increases in uh, energy use. Six of those countries, including Denmark and Finland, reached over 100% rebound effects. This is called a backfire, and it means that in those six countries, extra energy spending overtook all of the efficiency gains achieved. Air conditioning and heating are large contributors to both direct and indirect rebounds. A rebound effect as large as 60% has been shown in increased improvements in efficiency in the residential heating sector, which is something that the White House specifically crowed about in their paper. In China, long-term rebound effects ranging from 46% to 56% for residential electricity consumption in Beijing have been estimated. All of this data casts doubt on the wisdom of relying on energy efficiency policies to reduce energy demand. I'm going to quote here from a report by the Copenhagen School of Energy Infrastructure. In recent decades, large increases in demand for energy services have globally driven energy consumption. As a counterbalance, energy efficiency has become a key energy policy mechanism to tackle higher energy consumption and emissions, and countries and regions have adopted different targets and policies to achieve energy and environmental objectives. The main goals of these policies are to minimize the dependence on fossil fuels and mitigate local air pollution and GHG emissions. This has been particularly relevant for the energy-intensive sectors, the development and deployment of more efficient technologies, Technologies are, along with more technology management, the main channel to achieve these environmental and energy objectives. However, energy efficiency improvements can lead to changes in the demand for energy services, changes that offset some of the expected energy savings. Consequently, forecasts of energy consumption reductions may be overstated. As evidenced by the empirical literature, rebound effects can be a non negligible issue. Therefore, ignoring them can imply an overestimation of the benefits coming from energy efficiency improvements. This can in turn lead to decisions such as the overallocation of public funds to ineffective environmental and energy policies. Policymakers need to take rebound effects into account for air quality, energy security, and climate change policy reasons. A rebound effect different from zero implies that the expected proportional reductions in emissions from fuel efficiency improvements might not be achieved. Therefore, the policy goals to reach specific levels of emissions through fuel efficiency enhancements may need to be adjusted accordingly. Again, we have nothing against the idea of making more efficient devices. The point is that energy efficiency can't be pursued in a vacuum. It has to coincide with changes to a less extractive, cancerous mindset regarding the Earth's resources and carrying capacity. Just telling someone, you can drive more for less money now, or you can afford to keep your TV on all the time, doesn't really help anything. My fear is that governments and corporations, the neoliberal Leviathan, as we've come to call it on this show, will focus almost overwhelmingly on energy efficiency to maintain economic growth and obscure the overall lack of action on stopping carbon emissions. Think Joe Biden doing donuts in an electric Jeep. Through such a lens as the Biden administration, energy efficiency as a foil to climate change is a charade, being used to keep relentless economic growth viewed as a net good. It plays into the myth that we'll be able to mitigate, adapt, and survive the effects of climate change with little to no change to our current lifestyles. What we need to do is decouple human well-being from energy consumption, and consumption in general, to effectively combat climate change. This needs to happen at such a scale that advocating for individual changes in lifestyle will never be enough. But that is still a significant part of the puzzle. The trick comes in getting people to accept the fact that their life will need to change, without then telling them, and buying this product instead of that product is how you do it. That said, populations of people can and do change their behaviors in pretty profound ways. In 1950, abortion was not at all an issue for the religious right. Resistance to abortion might make some Protestants distrust you because that was seen as a Catholic concern. Now abortion is the defining political issue of the ascendant right. Their promise to destroy it is the rock upon which their titanic power is based. In a less calamitous sense, since 2007, we've gone from a time in which smartphones were expensive trash for rich people to buy to today when they're expensive trash that every human being who can afford to has to carry at all times because they're so utterly integrated to our daily life. So yes, people can change. A bigger challenge, though, will be to change the mindset of industry, which is not entirely or even often driven by consumer demand. As we've seen with the release of papers proving Chevron and other oil and gas companies knew about and deliberately hid research on climate change for decades, big capital will put its thumb on the scale every step of the way. In other words, if you come at the behemoth that is the integrated industrial economy, you'd best come correct. How do we do that? Well, if anybody really knew, they would have, you know, done it by now. The human infrastructure of extractive capitalism is deep and vast and tightly woven into the structure of every government with any real power. So, with the full understanding and admission that we aren't claiming to have solutions to that problem, let's talk about something that will at least be part of any real solution to the problem, degrowth. This is a term we'll explain in more detail later, but we mean it simply as a holistic approach to encouraging reduction in energy consumption and global environmental justice. A paper on the Jevons Paradox and the link between innovation, efficiency, and sustainability for the frontiers in energy research concluded, quote, The Jevons Paradox entails that sustainability problems cannot be solved by technological innovations alone. They must be solved through institutional and behavioral changes. While there are still differences of opinion about the scale of rebound effects and ongoing arguments about the macro and micro and longer and shorter term consequences of efficiency, our interest in this topic today is driven by the goal of improving how we use energy rather than totally overhauling or abandoning efficiency. One example would be the current fight in Europe over smartphone chargers. Most of the rest of the smartphone industry worldwide has jumped onto USB-C as the right kind of port for charging, etc., with your device. Before this point, those of you who have been using smartphones for a decade or more remember, there were tons of different chargers, and thus a ton of different waste. Every phone had to come with a new charger. A lot of them wound up in the trash. That has been reduced by everyone jumping onto USB-C. But Apple continues to use their own special charger. And now the EU is promising to make a law to mandate USB-C for charging new phones in an attempt to reduce waste. This isn't, again, a bad thing, but if someone's really concerned with waste among the smartphone industry, planned obsolescence is the thing to go after. Now, Targeting planned obsolescence, stopping it, includes a number of things, and for one thing, you have to fight for the right to repair devices, which is something that a number of corporations, not just in the smartphone industry, have lobbied to, in some cases, make illegal. More than that, it's stopping somehow these companies from making the conscious decision to brick old technology to increase profits, and that aspect of it is the bigger enemy than even the right to repair As electronic devices become common in more sectors of daily life via the Internet of Things, the overall share of global energy use that goes to making new versions of old products that could still be working but are designed to break is is really quite depressing. For one example of how large it must be, I haven't found any solid information on the total size of, of this industry, things that you have to repeatedly rebuy because they're meant to break. But the mobile phone industry in 2019 alone was 4.6% of global GDP. So that's close to 5% of global GDP just from making phones that are designed to break so you have to buy a new phone. This is an example of an area in which people's perspectives have to be changed. And I I think actually that digital fatigue, the fact that we're all so fucking exhausted with these devices these days, may provide somewhat of an inroad for convincing people that they need to buy new gadgets less often. But because these gadgets are so crucial to daily life, the industry actually also has to be forced to change. And again, right repair is one part of this, but that doesn't stop Apple from just deciding to throttle their old devices whenever they need to add a new layer to the money pile. Our overall point with all this is that solutions to climate change have to be cultural, and not just based in some version of, we'll invent a better version and that will solve the problem. Hybrid gas-burning cars and standardized charging cords are nibbling around the edges of the problem. Relying on technological advances pacifies us in the present, and it reinforces the need for certain types of human-material codependence, and that kind of codependence leads to increased dependency and more extraction. By no means am I trying to say that innovation is bad. I love gadgets as much as the next person. Innovation also has the capacity to heavily decrease resource extraction. It just has to be tailored with something more than just, we'll make this device more efficient so we can use it more or sell more of them. The capitalist mode of mass resource extraction and grind for efficiency are intertwined. And if we are to limit the most catastrophic effects of climate change, we as a culture need to rethink how we view efficiency and energy use. For the past few hundred years, economic growth has been the road that has led to our current ecological dilemma. The fantasy of switching over to nuclear and renewable energy with a perfectly efficient electric grid to just sidestep climate collapse is... It's a fantasy. We missed our chance to do that. Even if we stop all carbon emissions, right now, all of them, the carbon already in the atmosphere would push us past 2 degrees Celsius of warming in about 50 years. So what, besides carbon capture, can we do about this? We as in both you, the regular listener, and the ghouls with power and real influence. Well, the 2018 International Panel on Climate Change special report indicated that, in the absence of speculative negative emissions technologies, the only feasible way to remain within safe carbon budgets was for high-income nations to actively slow down the pace of material production and consumption. Degrowth is the planned reduction of energy use, corporate profits, overproduction, and excess consumption designed to bring the economy back into balance with the living world in a way that reduces inequality while focusing on human and ecological well-being. This isn't just some sort of utopian Marxist thinking. And in fact, a lot of Marxists have critiques of degrowth. And degrowth could be applied to a number of different economic and governmental systems. There are even some weirdo capitalist advocates of degrowth. Discussion about solving climate change can get into uncomfortable eugenics territory if you aren't careful. So I should emphasize here that degrowth is primarily about already wealthy countries limiting their economic growth. When aggregated in terms of income, the richest half of the world, high and upper middle income countries, emit 86% of global CO2 emissions. The bottom half, lower and middle income countries, emit only 14%. With very few exceptions, the richer the nation is, the more it emits. It's all part of the resource extraction infinite growth lie we tell ourselves to keep growing. Wealth is so much more of a factor in emissions than population. North America is home to only 5% of the world population, but emits nearly 18% of CO2. Asia is home to 60% of the world's population, but emits just 49% of CO2. Africa has 16% of the population, but emits just 4% of its CO2. This is reflected in per capita emissions. The average North American emits 17 times more than the average African. This inequality in global emissions lies at the heart of why international agreement on climate change has and continues to be so contentious. The richest countries in the world are home to half the world population and emit 86% of CO2. We want global incomes and living standards, especially for those of the poorest half of the world, to rise. The only way to do that while limiting climate change is to shrink the emissions of high-income countries. Even several billion additional people in low-income nations would leave global emissions almost unchanged. Three or four billion poor individuals would only account for a few percent of global CO2. At the other end of the distribution, however, adding only one billion high-income individuals to the wealthiest parts of the world would increase global emissions by almost a third. A programmer in the United States has a higher CO2 footprint than 50 farmers in Uganda. A decent chunk of this is just due to meat consumption. Meat consumption per capita in the richest 15 countries is 750% higher than in the poorest 24 countries. Lowering the population of, say, Uruguay won't do much for emissions, This is not the case when you talk about wealthy nations. In fact, if you live in, say, the United States, possibly the biggest thing you as an individual could do to reduce emissions is to have fewer or no children. It's estimated that dedicated recycling curbs about 0.3 metric tons of CO2 emissions per year, while having one fewer child is equivalent to preventing over 58 tons of CO2 emissions a year. Better sex ed and free access to contraceptives could also go a shockingly long way to curbing individual emission in wealthy countries. These numbers are averaged across a whole nation, and just like the case in less wealthy countries, the impact on emissions by having one fewer kid will be far lesser if you're middle class or poor than it would be if you're upper middle class or rich. But of course, none of that is going to be enough if industrial production keeps chugging along. And advising people not to have children, one of the singular driving motivations for human beings across history, isn't exactly a vote-getter of a proposition. Degrowth is critical, but the question of how to get there is thorny as hell. There are a few easy answers. Abolishing planned obsolescence could be pretty easily pitched to the average person. Cutting down on the number of people who have to commute could have a significant impact on toxic car culture. And again, you can sell that to people. The obvious solutions are good places to start, but they should be seen as opening incisions, meant to clear the way to make deeper, more expansive cuts, and eventually hew away at the cancer we've planted in the heart of our civilization.
3: Zumo Play. Uh,
5: it's could ha- it's happened. Could hear Robert Evans, the podcast that is now begun. Um, this is a show about how things are falling apart, and occasionally how to how to maybe deal with that, maybe try to steer things in a better direction. We talk about a bunch of stuff today. We're going to be talking about more supply line um, um, stuff, and and in order to kind of introduce this episode, uh, we wanted to bring in Alexis, who posted a a thread on Twitter um, about some of their experiences in the industry in which they work that that we all found very interesting. And so we just wanted to bring Alexis on, and uh, and and first off, have you kind of go over what what you went over in that thread, and then um, kind of z- zero in and talk about that. So Alexis, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to let you take it from here and then we'll, we'll drill in once you, once you get through your, your piece. All right. So I'm just going to go ahead and
12: read the thread that I posted and then, yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, so labor shortage discourse time. I work for a food manufacturing company, specifically bottling and canning various beverages, and we are desperately understaffed. The wages are competitive, but they can't keep anyone on after they hire them. Why? Because we're short on people, as soon as someone is trained, they start throwing massive amounts of mandatory overtime on them to try and cover the missing pieces while they look for more people to hire in. Folks get burned out and quit. And this is where my hate of just-in-time manufacturing comes in. Now, obviously, in food manufacturing, you can't just stock a warehouse with stuff and let it sit for a year. But you can keep a couple of weeks of stock rotating at all times if you devote the warehouse space, employees, etc. to doing so. This would give you some flex time to train your new people without having to run everyone into the dirt. So even with a place that is offering decent money and benefits, because this is a union shop, we can't keep people because we're making a conscious decision to only ever have one to two days of stock on hand to increase profits. Meanwhile, thanks to lean manufacturing, we don't keep a ton of spare parts for our equipment on hand. Thanks to the supply chain disruption, we've got packaging equipment that's been waiting on replacement parts for six months, which further fucks our productivity due to downtime which makes the company schedule even more overtime to try and make up for the lost cases from equipment downtime, which burns out more employees, which puts us in an even deeper labor hole. I've been warning about just-in-time being a time bomb in the making for over a decade now. When it works perfectly, you're fine. A single interruption causes cascade effects, and since everyone has been doing the just-in-time thing, there's zero slack anywhere in the system. Grocery stores don't have any extra soda in the back. They get behind. Demand builds up. Distribution doesn't have any pallets in the warehouse. Ha, what warehouse? So they can't answer the surge in demand from grocery stores. Manufacturing doesn't have spare parts for aging equipment, so we can't boost production. Spare parts makers don't have stock buildup. So on and on it goes. The actual proximate cause of this is deregulation of capitalism that has incentivized quarterly profits and made long-term thinking anathema to CEOs. But sure, conservatives blame California for not letting old trucks offload at the ports. That's it. And that's, that's the essence of my thread. I then plug my podcast at the end. <laughs> right.
11: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. So I wanted to, I'm curious as to kind of like, uh, to what it, like, I'm trying to understand like what the solution is. Like we've talked a bit about, okay, just in time manufacturing is, is problematic for a lot of reasons. Um, keeping more like on the shelves is going to allow you to avoid these crunches and it's going to like make supply line Issues like the ones we've been experiencing since the start of the covid pandemic, less severe and less common. Um, but how do you actually how do you actually make that happen? Because I guess the traditional free market thing is that, like, well, because this has been such a problem for companies, um, you know, they'll naturally change the system in order to avoid this in the future. I don't feel like that's likely to happen. Um, no. And I, I'm wondering, like, what do we uh, what, what, what do you think is the the way forward here?
12: Well, because some of the problem is is right now, like mo- most companies, you will pay taxes on stuff that you have stored in a warehouse, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so no company is going to voluntarily lower their profit margins if the other companies don't do it themselves uh, as well. So really, there's going to have to be some sort of forcing of companies to uh, have that on hand. And I don't see just being able to write a law that says, oh, well, you're required to have this much backstock on hand as, as being a, a functional way to work. And really, as I'm sure, you know, Robert, I know you're well aware, the the capitalism itself is kind of the problem. But as far as I, I guess a, a, a solution to this sort of thing um, you would have to disincentivize the quarterly profits above all in order to force companies back into long-term thinking. Now, from a purely like mechanical standpoint, um, I guess if you, if you did something to incentivize companies having back stock or flex stock on on hand, that might help. But um I mean I'm just I'm just a cog in the machine getting ground up. So as far as like big solutions, that's I mean I've been looking at it ever since I worked in a freaking casket factory and we started doing just in time there and just every time that I it, I've been in a place, a manufacturing place and seen it happen, I'm just like, "Oh, this is going to go wrong." Because you can't you can do just in time if all of your suppliers are local, but having it stretched across a global supply chain, it just it, it's inevitably going to collapse in on itself
5: i'm I'm sorry that I'm not more helpful <laughs> no no but I mean this is this is like the problem because there's a lot of reasons why the supply chain is global some of them are like labor related reasons some of them are cost cutting some of them are just like pure pragmatism um but it's trying to like I, I I don't I feel like it's it's one thing to say like well part of the problem is that like all of these different pieces come from different countries um and there's a number of shady reasons for aspects of that. Um, but it makes for greater problems when there's a supply line shortage and then like okay well what are we what are we gonna are are you suggesting that we make everything domestically because i I don't feel like that's a realistic solution I, um yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, and it like it's just it's i am trying to get a handle on there's a couple of angles on this there's there's what we think is going to happen um and then there's the question of like, is there a way that the system as it exists could make this whole thing less vulnerable and in so, a lot of ways that's going to be separate from the question of what would be better for everyone to happen because a lot of what would be better for everyone to happen is a wide a significant chunk of these things that we have constantly stocked on the shelves are no longer parts of our life right um right. there's a lot of things that are made that we do not need and that are there's an environmental cost and a sh- social cost and yada 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 um but i i guess first I'm kind of curious to drilling in, like, how realistic do you think it is that the system as it exists is going to, like, mitigate this and come up with better ways to to do this that render us less vulnerable to these supply crunches? Like, is there I, – I don't see a great financial incentive in it for them yet because um, they they don't seem to be hurting, right? Like, well, that's, that's the thing.
12: Well, actually and, – and again, please keep in mind this is limited anecdotal evidence. Yeah. But- Cause it's going to be um, different. like
5: John Deere, I know was making record profits before all the, this union stuff, uh, happened, but like, that's not everyone. Right. Yeah. So, so
12: again, I work for a soda manufacturer. So every time you're in, invo- you know, enjoying your, your schmepsi schmola or your, or your schmago, whatever, yeah. uh, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to explain which company I work for cause I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and we're we're actually a captive bottler, which means yeah. that it's a separate company, but we work for the, the big soda corporation. I think that in certain instances, those things will change because, for example, just last week, we had one of our four lines go down. So 25% of our production capacity went down because we had a motor burnout on the rollers that would move a full pallet out to be picked up by a forklift.
11: Mm-hmm.
12: And there was no replacement motor in stock. And so we had, I think, 48 hours of downtime on this. Now, all the way up at the top, the company executives, you know, we're one of 30 some plants. They don't care about why it was down, just that it was down. So in our position here, um, the people a little higher up the food chain than me are insisting like, hey, we've been after you guys for months that we need spares like this. And I think that as that sort of stuff happens, as it cuts into potential future profits you know it's not dropping their profits but it's keeping them from being even higher maybe yeah certain, certain companies are going to be like okay maybe we do need a couple more spares on the shelves as far as on the production side of it i don't see that happening i think yeah. we're still going to be shipping out pallets of you know pallets of corn syrup in infected uh, carbonated water as fast as we can make them uh, which you and you were talking about the environmental cost, like you do not want to know how much water it takes to make a single liter of soda. You really don't. Yeah. Um, but on this, on the production, like input side, I think that companies are going to start stocking spare parts because it has been, and I still have friends who work for other companies that I used to work for. It has been all throughout the system, and I, I live in the Midwest. Every company is going through this where they're having huge amounts of downtime because they things as small as a gasket or an o-ring are not on the shelf. And they're yeah. finally companies are finally going to listen to what their maintenance people have been screaming at them that we can't just stagger along and then, oh, well, it's next day delivery. Yeah. And then you freak out that this line was down for 24 hours. Now that it's not even next day delivery, it's next week delivery. I think that side of it they're going to probably try and fix. But the other side shipping to the consumer, I really don't see that they're going to change that.
5: Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes sense. And we we are you are kind of led thinking about this inevitably to like two conclusions. One of them is that I have my I'm, I'm sure parts of this, the the system will adapt as it already has been, in fact, which is why, like, you haven't seen toilet paper run out as bad as it did at the start of the pandemic again. Right. There is a degree to which. The system is capable of adjustment, but kind of in a larger sense, um, uh, this is uh, number one. I, I, I'm kind of left with the feeling that because of the way the system was set up, the and the fact that it was disrupted so severely, it's kind of impossible to get hundred percent back on track. Especially considering the disruptions are going to continue—not just waves of COVID, but you know, in natural disasters and whatnot, shortages of of things like uh, truck drivers. Like these different little hits are going to keep coming. And I I just don't know that we're ever going to like catch up everywhere enough that like shortages of some sort aren't an aspect of our lives kind of forever. And this is one of those things that if you've spent a lot of time outside of the United States, that's something a lot of people have been dealing with for years. It's just not something Mm -hmm. Americans are used to dealing with. And I think I kind of feel like that's just where it is now. Like I don't feel like every aspect of our our production and consumption system is going to get back to where it was February of 2020. I think maybe that's never happening again.
12: No, absolutely. It will not ever happen again. (laughs) You were saying earlier that, you know, there's some practical reasons for the global supply chain. Like one of the things that we've had such hard time getting in is any of our concentrates that contain real vanilla.
5: Obviously, right. we can't grow vanilla in the United States. Yeah, that's the thing you have to. I mean, there, that's part of why colonialism exists, right? Is mm-hmm. You need to go get vanilla. Yeah.
12: So, yeah. So, like, there are certain things that are going to be stay, yeah. have to stay global if we're going to continue to make the things that we make. Mm-hmm. And just from my side of it, being able to see oh, well, why can't we get this concentrate in? Oh, because it has vanilla as an ingredient and there's been a bunch of droughts and shit. And so vanilla is in a crunch, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. So I just, um, you're right in that. Yeah, we're going to have shortages. There's it's, you know, and it's not just the mechanical side on ours. It's like, we can't get cans in. We can't get concentrate in. We can't, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that we can't get in is going to slow us down and demand will build up. I did have somebody in that thread respond and say, I don't see how demand for soda will build up. And I'm like, no, I have a friend who's like a diet Dr. Pepper fiend. And as soon as diet Dr. Pepper shows up now, she buys like 824 packs. Demand mm-hmm. will absolutely build up for stuff. When people feel like they're being deprived of something, Yeah, when it becomes available, they're going to hoard it as best they can.
5: Yeah. And that's, again, with soda. Just kind of an annoyance, although that can, because individual people can react in extreme ways, can uh, snowball. I'm not going to be surprised if one of these days we have somebody shoot up a fucking grocery store because their whatever was out. Um, But that's also not a necessity. And I I think that like the the concern is that. Especially when you you look at stuff like you know, there's a couple of states that had like their wheat harvest and corn harvest that were like half or less than half of normal. In big chunks of Iraq, it was like down by I think like seventy or eighty percent. Um, like these massive sh- shortages of of growing basic foodstuffs, um, and that's all that's all tied into this. Like it's not the same business that you're in, but it's all tied into aspects of this. And it's all tied into like a lot of our ability to get that food out of the field is reliant upon different kinds of mechanical harvesting equipment. The materials to which to like fix and replace it are often like caught up in this whole just in time problem because they don't make enough of them. And sometimes they don't have them in stores. And then there's like a strike at John Deere and so more aren't getting made. And so there's not what you need to repair the equipment in time to get stuff out of the field everywhere. And in a year when you already have a reduction of harvests, like that cuts down on it further. Um, like I, I think – I don't know. It, it's it's this – there's always a couple of things to look at, which is like number one, as we've talked about, like how is the system uh, going to try to handle this? What ways are they going to be successful? What ways are they going to fail? What things are you going to have to endure? And what things – I think what I want to talk about next is like what things do we need to change uh, <laughs> in order to like – as communities be more resilient to this stuff, which, you know, has less to do with soda, which again is not a necessity, but more to do with figuring out how to anticipate and endure supply line disruptions.
12: Right. Absolutely. And, and while I'm currently in soda, I have been in everything from automotive to, I think, yeah. as I mentioned before, casket manufacturers. So,
5: mm-hmm.
12: you know, the, well, when is... I can go
5: through a casket a week, you know, <laughs>
12: especially when you're driving your uh your, your well yeah when i'm drunk through,
5: driving in a oh boy you know,
12: right right through a trailer park i mean you're
6: you're i mean your casket order's got to be through the roof uh
5: it is it is a lot a lot of people
6: yeah i mean I I, I I do actually wonder how <laughs> fuck um i mean like i i do actually wonder how much like the casket industry and stuff like that has been affected by the by like by the pandemic with the mm-hmm. you know an influx of dead people and how that's how how that's affected things. That, that's something I've been wondering about, but I've not actually spent time well, looking into. I can't speak to the pandemic specifically. I quit I quit
12: the casket industry in two thousand and eight, but I do recall my boss, uh, the owner. At the time being very, very upset that Hurricane Katrina had a lower death toll than he anticipated because oh, he, had that's over, really, yeah, that's he had overordered the sheet metal to make the caskets. And uh-huh. he was very pissed off about having all that extra stock because they were that's trying to incredible. transfer to, to just I in time
7: society. Yeah.
12: So
5: yeah, that's uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Great. Yeah. He, he was in a
12: bad mood for like a month after <laughs> Katrina because oh, God uh, it hadn't reached his expectations.
5: Well, sure, that's a real problem for for him. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> no, no that, he's got that's all the sympathy, critical support.
12: I mean, to the ghoul that <laughs> that, was, that job was grim. I'm just gonna say that. That yeah. it sounds
5: like it. I I have a through a through a, a loved one a connection to somebody who is like works for a company that makes body bags. And 2020 was amazing for them. They did incredible in 2020. Um, I didn't hear any ghoulish stories. It's just like,
7: yeah, of course you guys
11: made a bunch of extra money. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
7: (laughs) Sounds like that was great for you. (laughs) Putting in in a mental note to... uh, Go through a bunch of the campaign contributions of people who make body bags and check if they're supporting anti-mask yes. candidates.
6: Yeah, see if big
7: corpse got into this at all. <laughs>
6: yeah. I mean honestly, the thing to the thing to do is, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of the stock market in general. But next time, the next time the, there's a pandemic, find out which companies make body bags on the stock market and invest in those as soon as as soon as the pandemic starts.
5: I mean, I can tell you what I'm I'm putting money into big corpse as soon as uh as soon as the next pandemic hits. That's absolutely going to happen. <laughs>
6: oh boy Uh, all right yeah that's grim yeah i think it's fine
5: uh,
12: there's a reason why after after i started working there i immediately uh told my husband hey uh make sure if i die before you i'm cremated
6: so yes yes (laughs) (laughs) i don't
12: want to give these monsters any of my money
6: what what i'm looking into is just full full body stuffing that people can pose me around but that's a separate topic um
5: (laughs) yeah you talk about that a lot garrison
6: what I did want to mention is like actually um, when you were talking about how they hire in a lot of employees and they make them work horrible hours and then they you know they quit. And this is kind of like a constant kind of process. And like this isn't exclusive to that industry at all. I think one of the worst offenders of this is actually the Postal Service. Um, I think the, the Postal Service has like the lowest employee satisfaction out of any shipping company. Um, wow. And like my, my, my father worked for the Postal Service for a bit. And w- when you first join up, you join as like a, you you join as a, a on like a non career employee path and then you can get promoted to a career employee path after a few years. But the turnaround for the non career employee paths is massive. Like local branches can say up to like ninety percent of people who start working at the postal service will end up quitting within the year. Now that number can be different based on like nationally and for based on like you know based on what state you're in. But but across the board it, it's always around at least fifty percent for um employee turnaround for people who join up the postal service on these um like ci- uh, city carrier assistant positions. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, because because w- when you when you're a non career employee path, you have to work seven days a week and you can be called into work basically any time, usually working around ten to twelve hour days. All of the career employees, so all of like a no, little right, sounds all, like what I put all you the, guys through. Eh, <laughs> but, like all of all all of like all of like the regular carriers get to work like their specific route, and that's it mm. that's their whole day for yeah. the for the people who are new to the job, they're forced to work tons of routes, um fill in whenever someone else can't and uh we constantly be doing overtime um and working like basically nonstop non-stop with only like two like only two holidays off a year or something it's it's pretty intense, um which is why, you know, when the postal service comes have problems and because and, and because there's so fe- there's generally not tons of employees I mean, like, there is lots, like, comparatively, like, like, the, like, the Postal Service is one of the bigger employers in, in, in the whole country, but the, for people, when, when when employees drop off, filling those positions can be really hard in times of, like, crisis. So, like, you know, last year when there was all these problems with the Postal Service, all of these kind of issues around the supply chain and around how people treat their workers, all of them, like, com- like you know, compound to create one, like, much bigger problem, which we saw last year with the Postal Service and, like late in, like, the late summer. Um, so I just find it interesting how it's like, you know, these same issues around like how we treat workers is adding on to this problem of like supply chains and getting stuff delivered and all this kind of stuff. And
12: so what, what I find interesting there is, so you're, you know, we're talking about the, the, uh, employee issue and yeah, it churn. So I've been, uh. The plant I was working in, which is 20 minutes from my house, closed down, and now I'm working uh, 90 miles away, literally an hour and 45 minutes drive Christ.
5: away. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus H. Um, Christ.
12: I am I am working four 12s a week, and I am crashing at my parents' house, which they live about 60 miles away, so it's a little bit better. Um, but also that my still parents still sucks, yeah. Yeah. And my parents are hard-right evangelicals who do not agree with, uh, you know, Oof. this. So <laughs> that's fun. But... um the plant that I was in was a non-union plant. And the one I'm in now is a union plant. And one of the things that I've noticed that's actually kind of different is for once in the non-union plant, things were actually better because what we could do, what, what, what could be done is, all right, we're all working seven days a week. We have enough staffing that if nobody calls in, we have one spare person who normally goes around and gives breaks and stuff like that. Well, we could you know, basically all take turns taking a day off during that seven day week at the union plant that I'm at now though, it's all seniority based. So anytime that they force overtime, they go from the the bottom of the seniority list on up. Yeah. So oh, yeah. the people, the people who are being forced into those, which I described in the thread, I think uh, it was, it was split off in the thread, but uh, the, the, the people who were being forced to stay over four hours and then yeah. come in four hours early where you, oh, you were working six to two. Now you're working, you know, six to six. And then you're coming in at two in the morning instead of six in the morning the next day are always the people who are the lowest on the seniority list, which is why.
6: Same same thing with the Postal Service, yeah.
5: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, there's a number of different, I mean, I've heard that complaint from a couple of different union gigs. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a problem, yeah.
12: And it's, that's why we get these new people and they get trained up and now they're trained and, and they're signed off. And then they immediately go from, cause when you're training, you're not, you can't train on overtime or whatever, yeah. but yeah. now it's, Oh, okay. Well now you're working every weekend. You're being forced over. You're being forced in early, just nonstop. And so, yeah, they get trained for a month and then a month after that they quit because they went from working a relatively a re- sane. Yeah. Amount yeah.
6: to <laughs> an absurd amount. Yeah, hours
12: a week. We went 58 days at one point without a day off. Yeah, like
6: oh my, my god. My, yeah. my dad went like almost, I think, like 300 days without with without a day off when he started the postal service. A kind of funny thing is like when you hear the postal service talk about this, like from the, in their own reports and on their own website what they find a problem with is not not the turnaround in and of itself, but how they're basically wasting money on trainings for, for people that don't mm-hmm. end up working. So like, that is their main concern, is that they're spending all this money on like training for people that don't s- stick around often. Um, and I'm like, yeah, well, I, maybe you should address why they don't stick around often. That's, that seems to be kind of the actual issue here. Yeah.
12: And, and what I've been pushing for, and I know this is more on the labor side than on the on the supply chain side that we were focusing on, I've been pushing for instead of three shifts where we keep just getting just hammered with this stuff. I want us to do four shifts, 12 hour days and do like a two on, two off, three on, three off type swing shift where you have like one shift that works, you know, you work three days, one week, four days, the next week, and you work 12 hour days, but really you wind up getting a bunch of days off, you know, like that's, if you're going to work seven days a week, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, I but, mean like you know it's there's a lot of resistance to well will well, then we have to hire these extra people. Well yeah. you're hiring those people anyway and then they're quitting.
6: I mean like <laughs> you're it, it, not it, even getting your value out of them. Slave drivers? I mean like it, you said this is more this is more on the labor side than the supply chain side. But honestly these are these are like the same side, right? Because yeah. if you don't have employee like this is you know this is a fundamental, you know, thing in like how capitalism works, right? You need to have, you know, workers to make there have be any value at all, right? So if there's if there isn't any people to working then there is no supply chain it's gone because we need people to do it both on like the production side and both in like the transportation side that's like you know UPS uh, USPS you know FedEx you know so like the mail carriers and stuff is very important to all of this because you 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 need in order for, for there to be a supply chain there needs to be the, the the chain part right where you carry it from one place to to another so it's both it's both on the production side and on like the transportation side for and- how all of these problems you know yeah, and one and
12: one of the things that I in the replies to my thread, which I got into, was that um, part of the the only slack in just in time uh, manufacturing is the employees. They've pulled all of the slack out of the system on the mechanical side and on the production side of it, on all the physical side. The only slack left is people, and they have stretched us all to the absolute breaking point. Now I'm lucky relatively speaking in that i'm salary so like i'm more on the inventory side of things so i'm not doing the hourly production seven day a week thing like i said i work for 12s um but i can still you know and that that's this job every other previous job not the same thing but i can still see where they've taken out like Once again, we used to have spares on the shelf so that when something broke down, we could fix the machine and keep running. Now, instead of the spare, the spare is people working weekends. That's the spare part.
5: And that makes total sense, right? You're you're the capitalist, a better spare that is a part on the shelf costs you money in terms of like you need to have that space. That's extra rent you're paying. You need to have bought that part. Having your people just
7: kill themselves is much cheaper you can sort of misuse a Marx here, right? Or like, one of Marx's things is like, okay, well, you know, you, you have you have this increased machinery, you have this increased machinery, but that means you're producing less value because, you know, you've, you've put more people out of work. Well, it's like, okay, well, what if what if we just, we re-extend the workday again and sort of, you know, re- reverse all of the gains that have been happening. Well, okay, I say have been happening. Reverse all the gains that happened between about 1930 and like 1970 and just, oh, well, what if we just make everyone work 12-hour days again? And that that was, you know, one of those thing I that struck me both listening to this and reading the thread was that it's it's not even just wages, it's just it's 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 a, it's just the fundamental power imbalance. And then it's a fundamental power imbalance that's gotten so bad that even like, you know, the 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 like sometimes the remains of the union system. It's like it's not even you know, like the, the unions like In in this particular case like this, it's not even even really helping. It's just creating like you have a small labor aristocracy that you have everyone else getting just like ground down.
12: In this case, it's that we've got a we've got a small core of people who've been there 20 or 30 years. Yeah. And
7: and whereas
12: before, maybe even 10 years ago, they might have viewed the union as a vehicle to help everybody. Things have gotten so bad that now it's just, okay. I'm going to use this system as much as I can to cover my own ass because things have gotten so damn bad and obviously you know reagan destroying the unions and stuff like that help with that but yeah it's the i and i feel like the union in in my job could be very helpful um but it would require certain people in it to instead of looking out for just their own interest because hey i've been here 25 years so i'm in the clear (laughs) like actually go okay Maybe I should, you know, sacrifice a little bit of of that power or that privilege to help the people who are just hiring in so that we can keep them so that that this doesn't have to keep happening.
5: Yeah. Right? And it's you know, this is one of the things that has made the John Deere strike uh that made it so powerful was these those older workers who I mean, they had a tiered system. Right. So you had workers hired, I think, before like ninety seven got a full pension and then like after 97 was like a third of that. And then workers hired in the last couple of years weren't getting any pension at all. And a big part of the strike is like all of the workers saying that's not acceptable, um, including the ones who had a full pension, who had some of a pension, like saying that like the fact that the newer people are getting screwed over isn't acceptable. And I've heard different reasons for why that happened, because this is this tactic, what you're talking about and kind of like what happened at John Deere it was a common tactic, you know. It's the thing we talk about in colonialism all the time. You want to divide the population against, you know, each, uh, each other one way or the other. Give them, like, make make them feel as if their interests are not necessarily aligned, you know. So the oh, people yeah. who... um, And there's reasons, I've heard different reasons for why John Deere was different, including the idea that, like, a lot of these are family jobs. So it was not people, it was people being like, well, my kid's not going to get a pension, and that's bullshit. Um, Anyway, yeah, I just, it's it's... It's important to talk about like that as a problem and also to highlight different strikes where that seems to have been overcome by the workers. Like this fact that they were attempted to be played against each other didn't really work out.
12: And where in my case, it very much is like uh, another another example being so we'll have people who are, are lower on the seniority list. And like, let's say, for example, one weekend we're running lines three and five and not the other two. -hmm. Well, the the newer people might only know stuff online four. But if the new people don't get scheduled to do something, even if they're just being forced in to sweep the floor, the people who have the higher seniority will throw a fit saying, Well, they're lower seniority, why aren't Mm -hmm. they in here? As opposed Mm -hmm. to, well, because they can't run that machine. And then they don't want to train them to run that machine. It's it's very they've managed to succeed where the John Deere capitalists might've failed in making this all about like, all right, working. Con- and, and I don't blame the people who have the higher seniority on this, because if my, you know, if, if your working conditions are hell yeah, and you have the option of, okay, well on a short-term scale, I can screw over this other person and actually see my family once in a while, most people are going to do it. And yep. especially if that person is somebody who just hired in that you don't know, well, screw that guy. And that's where, once again, if unions were stronger, if they, it was more than, what is it right now? Like two, 3% of jobs are a union job, but unions have been so like just weakened that this sort of situation is allowed to happen. I guess you could say.
7: Yeah. And I think, yeah, that comes back to this. Like the, the, the solu- the solution to the supply chain problem isn't, really a sol- like it, it's 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 not it's not a logistical solution it's not even really like a capital gain solution or like a tax solution the solution is that you know you, you have to fundamentally change the balance of power between capital and labor and oh, you know i mean th- and that and that that can be like you know think things will get better if it's if it's more unions but like things are going to continue to suck until like the capitalists cease to exist as a class yeah. And I think that's like that, yeah, oh, that's
5: kick yes, that, us. <laughs> yeah, that's always the and it's one of those like we get we get critiqued on the internets sometimes because I think people will will say, like, well, you know, is your only solution to this? You keep talking about like mutual aid and, and anarchism and like I just don't feel like that's a, a big scale solution. It's like, yeah, but the current system isn't going to work very well on a big scale. Part of what we're always talking about is like how to how to get your how to get yourself and your people through the situation because that's also oh, yeah. important and it's the same thing with like a union right unionizing you and your fellow laborers in your factory or or making your union more effective and more able to like advocate for everyone that's not going to fix the bigger problem that's not going to deal with the the issues that like it's not going to stop climate change. That's not going to stop supply line crunches on a grand scale. It's not going to stop creeping authoritarianism, but it can make life more bearable for you and the people around you. And that's, that's also part of like getting by in a crumbling world.
12: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yep. It's, it, it requires a bit of uh, more foresight, which I think was one of the other purposes behind mm-hmm. working us as many hours as they do is mm-hmm. when you're so fucking tired all the time from working what you're working you don't have time to stop and think about the larger implications of things
5: Mm -hmm. and yeah (laughs) and that's part of what they're going for yep yeah so i don't know anyone else got anything
6: well i guess just the clear solution to this is that i need to just stock up on bang right i just need to buy all that i can because i i i I, I love bang i i I can't stop drinking bang. I, <laughs> I will say. Are, are I will you say scared of how much you love bang? I'm, I'm scared of how much bag I drink. I, I will Garrison say one of, is, one of the okay.
12: uh, wonderful mutual aid solutions is if you're very, very nice to the syrup mixing people, they will be kind to you if you are, are working a double and they will give you a shot of the energy drink syrup before it's been mixed.
7: Oh my God!
12: Oh, oh, wow. God.
7: Oh,
6: oh, boy! It's you should—you should not have shot. told Garrison that. <laughs> <laughs> I've to develop a problem. <laughs> Garrison's going to
5: quit his job podcasting just to be able to get pure <laughs> shots of energy gonna drink. Just going to be
6: shooting up energy drink here on out. That's all I'm doing with my time. I'm signing. I'm leaving. Leaving the call right now. Finding the nearest factory. And my, I hope you're s- my happy. Se- my second day on
12: the on the job in the soda manufacturing thing, I had a 24 pack of energy drink uh, explode all over me. Oh. I didn't have a change of clothes. And oh, that's man. when I learned that caffeine and taurine can soak through your skin.
6: Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh
11: <laughs> yeah.
6: No, I mean, basically, I
11: was
5: seeing sound. OK, so I I've just been looking up inflatable hot tubs and I feel like if I could order enough pure energy drink syrup in an inflatable hot tub, I could build Basically, the equivalent of Baron Harkonnen's rejuvenation bath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but with like but pure with bang syrup. Yeah, yeah, that
6: is that is that is my plan. Just B twelve, caffeine, it's, and taurine. It's just gonna be. We're all gonna quit our jobs. We're just gonna have the same amount of money. They get slower over time uh, because we're again spending it all on bang syrup. Well, yeah. obviously,
12: you need you need the inside person to supply you with the syrup. So we'll just have sort of an Ocean's Eleven situation yeah. where you guys pull up to the loading dock and with a tanker and I'm just hooking the truck up,
5: you mm-hmm. know? It's going to be like Scarface, but we're selling pure syrup, and then Garrison loses his mind uh, yeah. <laughs> and winds up in a machine gun fight in a mansion. Instead, I, um, instead of burying
12: yeah. his face into a mountain of cocaine, he's instead got just a large just Pyrex syrup. bowl full yeah. of syrup. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's
5: just sticking his hand into a bowl of syrup to absorb the the, the caffeinated <laughs> nutrients. When I, pee, it's g-
6: when I pee, it's just going to be straight syrup now. That is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway... Well, that's the
1: episode. (laughs) If
6: people want to find you a lot, where can they find you? So I host, uh, along with my
12: husband and our friend Justin, we host a uh, trans comedy and pop culture podcast where we also interview interesting people. Um, It's called The Violet Wanderers. So you can find us on Twitter at Violet Wanderers or TheVioletWanderers.com or email TheVioletWanderers at gmail.com and that's uh, basically that's my Twitter handle and I just slowly got sucked into the Twitter hellscape where I yeah, finally, that happens. originally went on just like oh I'm gonna just promote my show and then I started responding to people and before you know it I'm writing 20 tweet rants about just in time on my stupid gay podcast account
6: I got into Twitter to converse with a Young Justice podcast and that's why I created my Twitter account <laughs> and here I am now so
7: be calm, hey, I, I was it. trying to get a Side 2 beta key and I, I got it but the consequences were Ugh. I am now here. <laughs>
6: yeah. Uh, see, Twitter. See, Twitter see. Twitter and its consequences have been a disaster for us. You're
5: you're this you're such a child. I remember the first planet side beta. Oh back no. in the day, Chris. <laughs> it was an age undreamed of. Oh, Chris.
12: And uh you all are welcome to come on the show anytime. I will I will bother you to come on my show sometime. And excellent. Yeah, about, good, uh, give
5: it good. plugs. <laughs> plugs probably. Um, yeah.
12: yeah. Yeah, like I said, uh, The Violet Wanderers, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Podcast Addict, whatever, you know, like all your major podcast platforms. Uh, The tagline of the show is uh, made for no one. So um, expect a lot of queer humor, a lot of me uh, calling my husband a slut and us talking about video games, comic books, movies, and then occasionally just randomly interviewing really interesting people who I harass into coming on the show. Uh, like which Robert, I know uh, you know Daniel Harper from I Don't Speak German. I sure do. He's been yeah. on a few times. Um, we've had him on and and had some fun talking about Nazis, which yeah, seems kind of you know counterintuitive, but uh, there's a lot of humor that can be found in Nazis if you know the right places to look.
5: And, oh, and so. yeah, I you know what I just watched a German language movie about Hitler. That was made in 2007 by a Jewish German comedian that includes I've watched a lot of Hitler movies, you know, at, re- periodically I just get on Netflix and Hulu type in Hitler, just kind of watch whatever's there. This is the first time I have seen Hitler fucking in a movie. I've never <laughs> oh, seen anybody <laughs> who had the courage to do that. Huh, and he is uh, just, yeah, he's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Coming his one ball just swinging in yeah, the wind. It is, it is an uncomfortable scene, but not the most uncomfortable scene in that particular movie. Um. Stunning it's quite and- a film.
12: That's I was gonna say. That's pretty amazing. But yeah, come yeah. on, some come on sometime. Uh, we'll play around yeah. round of Mageddon, which is a game that I've created. And uh, oh. you know, all if right. you guys don't want to kill yourselves afterwards, then hey, you survive the game. As long as I
6: can get some syrup out of the deal, that's that's all I want. Just... I will,
12: I will, I will smuggle you some syrup out and mail it to you. Okay. Great. <laughs> Perfect. <All right. laughs> well,
5: that's that's gonna do it for all of us here today. And it could happen here. Um, until next time, I don't know. Go go read go read. The, the Dawn of Everything. It's good. It's worth reading. Check it out. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe.
12: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media.
4: Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
3: This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people.